I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1992, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992 from our perch here in 2023. I am one of your hosts, Phil Isco. I am your special guest host, Emily St. James, filling in for your normal host, The Truth, which Phil could not handle. <laughs> it's the obvious joke. I'm so sorry, but <laughs> I just could one, not I think of it. a better one. I it could also not. hit me like a brick and I am recovering, really. Like it's <laughs> taking me a moment because that was such an excellent joke. <laughs> Uh, with us today is writer power couple Liz Hanna and Brian Milliken. Uh, thank you so so much for joining us to talk about Aaron Sorkin's and Rob Reiner's. I guess uh, a few good men. Um, Thanks and Tom Cruise's. Oh yes, Emily. Yeah. Uh, Phil, I just want to say we are mm-hmm. doing the public a service today because mm-hmm. on, on Liz's Wikipedia page it says her then boyfriend now husband citation who so now someone what? can cite wow. this podcast. Oh That's no! Fill that brutal. in. There you go. I, I think I used to be on that tonight. You are cited on my by Wikipedia page. Oh no! I love well, that. I love that you're cited on your Wikipedia page. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I uh, so when I reached out to you, Liz, uh, for 1992 films, you uh, you were very uh, <laughs> emphatic about one film, which you'll come back for in the future, uh, and a few good men. Um, so my question to you is: since you were also on for a West Wing episode, I'm assuming that this will be there will be Sorkin discussion, obviously, but. Ooh. but um i'm curious as to you and brian's history with a few good men do you have a good question good man well i was born in 1985 and um so you were seven when this i was seven um what is my history with a few good men i don't like i think like most movies from the 90s i'm sure my parents showed it 
to me at some point that like this was or, and I'm sure I saw it on like TBS or TNT mm. 8 million times because it's yep. always on television. Um, but I, you know, Brian and I, when we first met, obviously like most couples who work in the same industry, uh, I think, and particularly the two of us, we just love movies and we love TV, um, which I just immediately apologize to our child for. Cause like life's going to be real <laughs> dull if you don't like either of those kid. Um, like we don't go outdoors. We're not outdoor people. We're very indoor people. <laughs> um, but we, I think like. Oh, it's funny because we're doing it again right now. I think we were doing our probably top 100 list, like when we first started dating. Oh, and this was very, very high for both of us. Interesting. Okay. And that sort of begot a lot of it. But I mean, truthfully, I think our story is probably not that complex other than like every time we've ever been hungover in the last 10 years, it's been on television. So you just sort of end up watching it. And sure. then you go through like three commercial breaks until you realize you own it. And you're like, all right, I guess I'll just watch it. So that's, I think that's probably our like actual true emotional relationship to it. Do you guys remember the first time you saw it by any chance? Brian, do you remember when you, I mean, I, I'm older than it seems like everybody on this podcast. Um, So for me, I saw it in the I don't know, theater. Brian's old, so who knows? Yeah, okay. I'm 40, so I'm okay. pretty old. Well, I'm, I'm older than that, unfortunately. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, no, it's all good. But um, I, uh, I did see it in the theater. I don't think anyone else mm. on here saw it in the theater. I didn't, but I remember wanting to because I was, I think I saw the firm in theater. Sure. And so I was, I was, uh, I was already a, I was already a big Tommy guy back then, but I, I think I must not. As we call him was, in our house. <laughs> it, was probably, it was probably about, it was probably something to do with the subject matter kept me away. It's mm -hmm. like, I was like, I would have been 10. And a so I, drama would yeah. be a little boring for a 10 year old. And, and yeah, and I'm with you, Liz. I think I, I think I, the first time I saw it must have been on like TBS or TNT. I don't even remember it being one of those like uh, HBO staples that was just like always on and on and on and on. But I do remember the trailer really well. And I actually watched it again online a couple of days ago thinking about this and like Mr. Voice and everything like the trailer was like was really signature and it gives away some of the some of the stuff from like the very very end of the movie which is crazy but I mean I guess you would know but I remember I remember like the marketing campaign and everything it was such a you know with their three faces and everyone looking like super serious like it was like a big huge hit I feel like when it came out that December oh, but huge. it was I mean it was an adult movie I remember the teaser poster, which was just the two faces, which was just Cruz oh. and, and Nicholson. And it just said like Christmas or something like back in the day when like you could just do something like that. And I guess people would, would show Also, up. who would ever make this a Christmas movie now? Like what a wild choice for this. Well, to the make. funny I mean, thing is I guess that I that pissed off Nicholson in a big way because he so this was supposed to come out in the summer and they pushed it to the fall for Christmas for, for Oscar nominations. And he had Hoffa that also came out oh, around no. Christmas in 92. And that was, was his baby by Danny. That was his, that was his baby. And it was directed by DeVito and blah, blah, blah. And that movie doesn't exist basically. And mm. this movie just blew it completely out of the water. Uh, so he was, he was uh, annoyed that these two films came so close to each other. I, I have not seen Hoffa since I was like probably 13. So I don't even know if Hoffa's any good, but I've never seen Hoffa. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I couldn't of... handle the truth of Hoffa. <laughs> yeah. None of us could really. Really. It's sort of in like the two Jakes category of Jack Nicholson oh, sure. movies from that sure. era, you know. Like, sure, it's, it's there. Everyone's yeah, it's favorite sequel to Chinatown, obviously. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, the one Emily. we were clamoring for. 
Yeah. Hello. Do you do you it's have uh, do you have a history with a few good men? I watched this on video in uh 1993-1994 somewhere in there. I know that like when it came out it was all every adult I knew wanted to talk about. Um and like the, so like I was party to a lot of conversation about it. I remember that trailer. I believe it has you can't handle the truth in it. Mm-hmm. When I saw this on video I was like this is the greatest movie ever made, but I was also, you know, a child. Um and uh the you know i i really did but i really did love it and i think that i i don't know what i what i know what i remember about it is that like it came in that year as like this is going to be best picture winner this is the favorite because like they moved it to the winter reiner was seen as due you know you got Cruz, nicholson all of that and then it like kind of disappointed with critics and underperformed at the nominations and unforgiven one which we can get into Mm. but like that was my cognizance of it because i was very much an early oscar race follower yeah i i remember it being i mean this movie made a ridiculous amount of money at the time and if you inflate it, an absurd amount of money. Um, it, it, it definitely feels like, I mean, you brought up Tommy. So it's worth talking about Tommy for a second. We'll talk about it's him, also, obviously. I just feel that I should now apologize to listeners for being a part of the <laughs> two-hour Tom Cruise marathon <laughs> conversation. Of that Magnolia? The, the I just, like, blacked out at a certain point and was like, have we been talking about Top Gun Maverick for an hour? <laughs> we, I mean, no joke, it was almost two hours. It was it was pretty wow. incredible. But, I mean, it's not every day that you get to have, like, the, everyone's perspectives on Tom Cruise all at once. And which Sarah Polly is on talking yeah, about Tom Cruise. It was, Cruise. Like, it was yeah, wild. It was Anyways, wild. I just, uh, I but, apologize. But no, also, no. I hope everybody wow. listened to it. Not at all. I think it's interesting where this falls in the Tom Cruise sort of canon, if you will, the filmography of his in terms of that it's he's kind of at the I don't want to say he's at the peak of his powers, but he's pretty close to it. I mean, he really can kind of do whatever he wants. He does have Far and Away, which also comes out in 92, which we will be talking Um, about. Interesting. Interesting that you mentioned that. There's somebody going to talk about it in a positive light because it's an enchanting escapist. So so Ashley Lyle is coming on to talk about it and is a enormous far and away fan. So there will be a well, lot of positivity. Someone listen, tuning in it to has, that one. It has its flaws, but like it's also but like that sequence, the Oklahoma land rush at the end. It's like, amazing. Like, I'll take it's it every amazing. day. And twice on yeah. So you have to sit through two hours of a movie for an Oklahoma land rush where he falls and hits his head? Like, spoiler alert, but like You've also got the outrageous accents like to oh, enjoy. The like, there's, there's a lot to appreciate up until that point. That movie is also like nine movies at one. It's like <laughs> they're in Ireland and then yep. they're in Brooklyn and then they're it's like huge. on the Oregon Trail, Oregon Trail. Like it's wild. I think they thought that movie was going to be like maybe Oscar Beatty. I'm not really yeah. sure what the goals for Far and Away were, <laughs> but... I will say that I don't know that Far and Away was supposed to come out when it did, because it comes out in the summer. And then if you could. So my guess is that I mean, I don't really know. But leading up to this, you have Rain Man, Born on the Fourth of July, Days of Thunder, Far and Away, Few Good Men, The Firm, and then Interview with the Vampire, Mission Impossible. Like that streak is just filled with bangers for the most part. So at this point, he kind of can do whatever he wants. And it's interesting that like, I mean, I guess this is a Tom Cruise vehicle, but it's a lot more of an ensemble. It's also like not an attractive portrayal. Like it's interesting in that, I mean, it is an, it is a physically attractive sure. portrayal. We can talk about he is at the height yeah. of those, those suits. powers as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Yes. Right? 
The man knows how to wear a uniform. Yeah. Yes, he does. Um, but it's like he's kind of wimpy. He's kind of a jerk. He has a big attitude. He doesn't do the right thing for like a really long time. It's not sort of the most attractive role. And I think what's interesting to me about it is like in retrospect, there's so much revisionist history or just now, like what has happened in the last 30 years of like who Sorkin has become. But like this script didn't mean anything in terms of, oh, it's Aaron Sorkin's next script. It's like, this is Aaron Sorkin's first script, you know? And like based on a play (laughs) that had Josh Molina in it, like this is not, you know, like it's, this is not like, people are clamoring at the gates for this tiny little film or this tiny little script ostensibly. So mm-hmm. like, Hmm. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was, so, so for me, it's really, I, I think, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, a writer, so I always think this and I'm a Sorkin fan, but I think like, it's actually such a true testament to the material that Tom Cruise is like, you know what I really want to do is this. Well, think about it in his oeuvre also. He's never done, I think, like another stage play, essentially. You know, there's more dialogue in this movie that he, for him than I think in anything that he's ever done before. You know, like, I, you, honey, we talk about this all the time. He Is he sort of the perfect, like, Aaron Sorkin leading man? You know, like, he handles it. I mean, it's not, not don't take anything away from Bradley Whitford or Rob Lowe or, or Michael Douglas, but he handles it so well. Tom Cruise is like, 100 out of 100 charming in this movie and like he and then he later on in the film he like owns every courtroom scene that he's in like for all the talk about how great jack nicholson is like i i actually think this is one of tom cruise's like best performances and i just wish that we could get more of this from him even like now right like well, honey you should listen to the two-hour tom cruise-a-thon that we did oh. because that, that was what we came to that was the conclusion we came to as well what well, was like was that and Jerry Maguire basically was where I I, I mean you yeah. you and I share the Maguire feelings. Yeah. Um, also, our gardener's I, name is Jerry, and every time he comes, we go hi Jerry. So I just had to shout out the gardener and, I, and I apologize. The, the other thing that's fascinating to me about his choice to do this movie is he's played a lot. At least at the time, he had played a lot of these like younger guys who were sort of you know coming up against it's whether it's like the specter of their father, you know, like Top Gun. Or, you know, Days of Thunder, they're just like, you know, they're, they're, they're really like, you know, cruising for a bruising or whatever. No pun intended. <laughs> uh, but like have like a little bit of cocktail even. Like they have a lot, they have something to learn that they don't sure. know yet, right? Yeah. And what's interesting about this one, like you're saying, honey, is it's sort of inverted. That like he's he's trying not to be his father. He's not trying to like live up to him. He's like, he's almost, I mean, because deep down, right, he's afraid that he he can't be that kind of lawyer, like like in a way. But there's something it's for me, it's like of all of that movie, even the first Mission Impossible movie kind of falls into that category too. everything up until like Interview with the Vampire and and Jerry Maguire does. But for me, this is my my favorite of it. this is like the apotheosis of that type of Tom Cruise era film. Well, it, I also it, think sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Let's I was going to say, I mean, but going to what you're saying is like in, in the Sorkin Reiner renaissance of this and American president. And I think also just in terms of like Sorkin material in general, this is also like the struggle is to do the right thing it's like not to it, it is not to live up to something i mean and it's also this is the entirety of basically the first four seasons of the west wing is like are you gonna do what's right yeah. let's make a movie about that yeah. and like that I, it's that's like kind of, and, and the fact that you can have a leading man sell that yeah. and like have a story sell that is really incredible that it's just like it comes down to him and 
he's drunk and he's like, am I going to figure it out? And am I going to decide to do this or not? That's like the whole crux of the movie. I would argue that Sorkin's entire oeuvre is about, are you going to do the right thing? Sure. (laughs) Uh, I mean, and, and that, that's, I mean, most crystallized in this, but Emily, you look like you have thoughts. No, I'm my, 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 um, I'm looking at listening to my baby softly. No, but I, I do, I do have, I do have many thoughts, but I'm just going to let this continue. Let's, let's, let's get, I mean, I want to give a little bit of context for our (laughs) listeners who might not have seen a few good men for the millionth time on TNT. Uh, Lieutenant Daniel Caffey, played by Tom Cruise, is a military lawyer defending two U.S. Marines charged with killing a fellow Marine at Guantanamo Bay Naval Base in Cuba. Although Caffey is known for seeking plea bargains, a fellow lawyer, Lieutenant Joanne Calloway, played by Demi Moore, convinces him that the accused Marines were more likely carrying out an order from a commanding officer. Caffey takes a risk by calling Nathan Jessup, played by Jack Nicholson, to the stand in an effort to uncover the conspiracy. Few Good Men open on December 11th, 1992, against Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, The Bodyguard, Aladdin... Uh- we took down Trump uh, twice. Love it. <laughs> get out of here, Christmas Sorkin. Get out of here, Trump. Love it. And of course, the Mighty Ducks. Uh, the it would go. Ducks. It would go on to make two hundred and forty-three million dollars on a thirty-three million dollar budget, wow. uh, which would be like six hundred million dollars today, or five fifty, mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, it's got eighty-four percent on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, eighty-nine from audiences. Uh, Roger Ebert only gave the film two and a half stars, saying Rob Reiner's A Few Good Men is one of those films that tells you what it's going to do, does it, and then tells you what it did. It doesn't think the audience is very bright. There is a scene that is absolutely wrong. In it, a lawyer played by Tom Cruise previews his courtroom strategy to his friends. The strategy then works as planned, which means that the element of surprise is missing oh. from the oh, most Roger. important moment in the movie. And I... the key scene by Jack is under is undermined. Yes, I, Emily, I, you agree? I want I don't I'm not going to say I agree with this. I read some of the reviews with the original play which Uh say similar things Mm -hmm. they are diagnosing the sorkin approach and saying Uh it doesn't work and like then you know sorkin becomes sorkin and everyone's like well he's so smart blah 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 and we can talk i mean i'm i'm yeah well can i ask a question though because i i agree with what what i don't agree with ebert but i do understand pointing out that you know element of sorkin's writing I but think, I would yeah. also say that it falls into the kind of Billy Wilder camp, arguably one of our greatest screenwriters ever, which is if you can make the audience feel smart, they're going to love you forever. And I think mm-hmm. that part of that is in that notion of allowing the audience not to feel ahead of it, because I don't think that's necessarily a good thing, but at least feeling like they're piecing this together as it's going along. I don't know. I, I, I think there's something rewarding about I- that. I think there's also a lot to say in the language. And I, I think, you know, I definitely know that this is the first time as like a sentient writer that I was like, who wrote this? Like that this really has the flair and the flash and the, you know, little twist of one of the greatest dialogue writers to ever live. And I do think, like, here's the thing. I don't actually disagree with anything that you just said in terms of, like, yeah, he does do all of that. Like, yes, there is the scene where Tom Cruise is like, so I'm going to sit him down on the stand and this is what I'm going to say. And then that happens. So, like, I actually can't disagree with that. But the thing is, is that the way that he speaks and the way in which that scene unfolds is not um, A to B to C to say, like, sure, yes, the, the elements and the events happen that way. But the way in which they they do are so singular and unique to Sorkin. And I think that is 
also what makes the audience feel like, look, I'm not going to compare them to Shakespeare, but I am going to say that the thing about reading Shakespeare that everybody when they're like in eighth grade clicks into is like, oh, suddenly I get it. I, I can like understand this language. It's a different language that suddenly I know how to read. And there is something about watching Sorkin and being at at the same level as his characters who are so intelligent and so witty to feel exactly what you're saying, Phil, a part of it that I do think elevates it from just like, here's a courtroom drama. We know exactly how it's going to go. Well, and for, for me, and I think in this movie, I think it goes, it goes beyond Sorkin to almost like fundamental screenwriting. Like I, we were just talking about this, honey. I think of this movie the way that like other people think of Casablanca. Like it's just this like very fundamental, this is like, a, that is to romantic comedies or, or just, or romance movies, what this is to the courtroom drama. Like, yeah, Nazis so, in Monaco, so, high concept comedy. <laughs> but like, That's what I always think of. I've, I I have often heard the criticism of this that like this the few good men isn't really surprising but like I I don't think they intended to surprise with it like and and it's a little bit like a heist movie you know you kind of need to know the plan before they go in to try to steal the thing and so you can see where it goes wrong so so like I love that I, what what Roger Ebert was criticizing is the thing I love most about this movie is that the climax of the movie is that moment in the, in the, his final examination of of Jessup, when Jessup kind of throws it back in his face. He's like, "Really? Is that all you came here with, kid? Like, tell me." And and he just kind of sits there for a really long time and like looks at everybody in the face, like literally everybody. And and Kevin Pollock's like, mm, "It's like it's over," <laughs> and like it's all set up there. And Demi Moore just kind of looks at him, and they'd had that conversation beforehand that she's like, "Listen, you know how much I care about Dawson and Danny, but like if." If you feel it in that moment that like it's like it's not worth your career, like that's what the movie's actually about. Like this, for me, I learned a lot about screenwriting from this movie, and I, I guess it still teaches me well, I, uh, I, I that also, like it's it's not about the case; it's actually about what's going on with Kathy. You know, like this. So like it's totally. an easy to fall into the trap that like it's just about the courtroom case, but there's more going on there. Even it's not saying it's the most sophisticated you know story about Kathy of all time, but it's really it's just about his decision in that moment. It all comes down to that. I also I think I just say one quick thing, Emily, yeah, sure. before I forget it. I, I just I I do think that one of the things that Sorkin does incredibly well is he's a very smart writer, but he also has I mean, he wears his themes on his sleeve and that's fine. Like it's one of the first writers that I remember as a kid watching and being like oh i get what he's trying to say i get what the subtext is and i know that this sounds like faint praise but i think that something to that of balancing that you know incredibly intellectual everyone sounds really smart but then also as a viewer being able to understand like what's actually trying to be said i think there's something really kind of workmanlike and beautiful about that emily please i think uh, like I love going back to read contemporaneous reviews of everything because you go mm -hmm. back and read contemporaneous reviews of Casablanca, for instance, and people sure. are like, "This movie's very trite," and you're like, "I guess it is." Yeah. Like I, you know, the thing. One of the things about it is because we come into the world at the time we come into it, we start getting this received wisdom, and like mm -hmm. I cannot separate Aaron Sorkin from what he did after Sports Night debuted, and he became like this Titanic figure of screenwriting and then kind of like, you know, people turned on him and, you know, there, there's that whole storyline, but you look back at reviews of this and they are almost all the critics are almost all very focused on the script. And like, they sort of don't 
appreciate his approach to this material in terms of they are viewing this as like the verdict, <clears throat> like a, like mm-hmm. just like a very standard courtroom drama, which it is until it's not. And I think they just kind of couldn't go, get over that hump in a weird way. And like, there's a similar thing with criticism of the play. And like, you look at the nominations it's got for Oscars and the script was not nominated. And like, I think, I don't know, you know, I, I haven't, seen every movie from 1992 maybe there were five better adapted screenplays but even as someone who's going to come in and be like this movie kind of sucks like i'm going to say this this screenplay like is is kind of impeccable in a lot of ways i'm going to read the screenplay nominees for you uh based on material previous the winner was howard's end uh the other nominees were enchanted april the player a river runs through it and scent of a woman um i i know brian is very upset about two of those I'm so. upset. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I th- yeah, I, I can't say that Sent to a Woman is a better script than this. I haven't uh, seen most of those, so yeah. Uh, I don't it, I, look. This is like not a knock on. It's one of those yeah. things that's like you know, I'm not going to Cape Blanchett this and and sure, have sure. Like, go into a CCA story about like how we shouldn't all <laughs> how it shouldn't be this because it is this. It is it is a race. Like it is yeah, it is that. Yeah, yeah. But um, it is like it is very wild to consider that scent of a woman's screenplay is better than the screenplay for a few good men, which Emily, you're right. I think, I think is, is you can't separate it from who Sorkin became after that. And like Mm -hmm. that we have this touchstone now that I think in many ways, Phil, you're exactly right. Tells us exactly who he's going to be for the next 30 years as a writer. There is no mystery. If you read that screenplay or watch Mm -hmm. that movie, of kind of everything that Sorkin will do. Like, there's nothing really that surprising. Honestly, the fact that he made a show about sports was probably the first, was probably the most surprising <laughs> thing. But then, like, every move is is kind of, um, like, beautifully predictable. And, and not, uh, and, and just because it's predictable doesn't mean that it's not satisfying. Mm-hmm. And that also, in that predictability, he sort of, like, he changes television multiple times. He he writes a movie that's a romantic comedy about the president that's talking about gun control and the environment 25 years ago. Yeah. I mean, that like there's all of these things that he does that I think are really interesting. And and for me as a writer, what I, I think about it is that like you don't have to break the wheel to be good at your job. Like you don't, you know, you don't have to. There are so many animals around my feet right now. Like, good Lord. <laughs> But yeah, it's about um, the execution. Yeah, yeah. I, I do want to hone in on one thing that he did telegraph, uh, which is he's not great at writing female characters. I know that's a shock to many people. What? Um, <laughs> but uh, it's the, the, the irony being that this is uh, bottled after his sister, uh, which is crazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't really know what to take from that. But I, I want to hone in on this just for a second because I do think that... Um, Joe Is that Calloway. Who we blame the haircut for because <laughs> it's a tough well, ha- one. Yeah, I, I don't feel know bad for Demi in that one. Yeah, it's a lot of like rolls and yeah, kind it's, of what very sh- weird. What is the shape? Like it looks like an alien spaceship. It's very strange. It, it, I imagine that um, if you are a woman working in the military with long hair, you had to find some way in order to make it not look like you had long hair. But all that being said, um, Demi Moore, who was 
not originally um, the first choice for this role. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was the first choice for this role, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting. Um, and then Jodie Foster, and Linda Hamilton were all sort of considered for it, um, which is all kind of crazy. Although I could see all of them doing, obviously, they're all very talented. Jodie Foster makes the most sense to me, I feel like, in that. Yes. But Demi, but, yeah. but Demi is like... Yeah. But this is also a wild choice for Demi Moore to do. Like, this is a wild role and movie yes. for her to do. Well, she did yeah, she was a movie star at the time. Well, this is why she... This, so she she has Ghost in 90, right? And obviously, mm-hmm. huge hit, right? But then she has The Butcher's Wife, Mortal Thoughts, and Nothing But Trouble in sequence. And all of those Ooh. aren't good. Bangers uh, and they all. all Bangers all. All time. <laughs> I've never heard of most of them. So nothing she, but trouble is a fascinating watch if you've never it seen is it. Wait, it's, nothing, like, it's nothing but that's not the um Julia Roberts. With Dan Aykroyd as like the Dan crazy oh, like okay. a judge in the middle of a junkyard. It's a like it's, it's, a, it's a mess. And Chevy Chase is in it. It's one of those like it was the moment, the death knell for like that SNL crew where everyone was like, and no one wants to see oof, the movies anymore. But so Demi but yeah. had to, so had had to have trifecta a win. three bad movies. So she takes a, a massive pay cut to take this movie because she wants a hit understandably. And, and I think she's great in this movie. Mm. I have no issues with Demi Moore's performance. The writing is a bummer in the sense of like, why does she have to be so bad at her job? Uh, I mean, this does seem to be a, a, a thing uh, for Sorkin, but one of the things I wanted to, to unpack for a quick second is the romance in this film. This is one of two movies that I would argue uh, have the best uh, relationships that don't actually come to fruition. This and A League of Their Own both come out in 92. Mm. And both of those films do a masterful job. I can't believe I'm not doing every single movie from 1992. <laughs> Was like, 1992 the best year in film? It, it might have been. Potentially. Um, it, Emily, <laughs> don't worry. I'm not actually saying Well, okay. Uh, <laughs> best is a strong word. But I, like, I, have this, I, have this, I have this bizarre relationship to this year because I... I this is the last year I don't see any movies. Like I was raised fundamentalist Christian. I was raised fundamentalist Christian. I didn't see anything in 93. I was finally like old enough that my parents were like, well, you can kind of choose some. And so like, I've seen everything from 93 on, but 1992, I'm looking at this list of movies and I'm like, Aladdin, what's that? No, <laughs> I saw Aladdin. I've seen what Aladdin. I wanted to, to to sort of hone in on is both of these relationships. The studio was adamant that they come to fruition, that they make out, that they have sex, that that something happened. Uh, if anyone has seen the deleted scene of Gina Davis and Tom Hanks kissing from A League of Their Own, it is a nightmare. Like you, you look at it and you're like, it's literally a landmine that they somehow saved a per- made a perfect movie by not doing that horrible thing um this film had numerous versions of the script where uh joe and and daniel hook up i love their quote-unquote date i love that they have mm-hmm. unquestionable romantic chemistry i love that they are Whoa. most likely Whoa. going to have I will sex question once- it question really question. Question. Oh, no question. oh i'm questioning it yes yeah. okay well we, we can I'm, I'm, i just think that i'm glad that it doesn't happen I'm glad that we don't see it. I'm glad that we have to make the decision for ourselves whether or not anything happens between the two of them. Even the 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 literally the shooting draft of this script, the last shot is not Tom Cruise looking at the courtroom. It's Joe giving him yeah. her number. <laughs> like no. it's 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 literally <laughs> like the, so oh. That but first of all, wouldn't he have it? They've been working on a yeah, really I mean, important yes. case for the I mean, last that, that's, that's true. 
that is such a Sorkin thing to end on though. Like it is such a, like, it's not even like, it's just like, we've had this grand moment and now we're going to do just kind of a little like thing that makes you go, Oh, this is, this is kind of cheeky and fun. It's it's the roses at the yeah. end of American president before yeah, the yes. state of the union address. Yes. yes. Um, okay. I'm going to throw my Please. flag in. Go, um, go. I, I mean, my hot take is that I actually don't think Tom Cruise has ever had chemistry with anyone on screen, except wow. in like a non-romantic what? way or non-sexual way. Like I really even Jerry yes. Maguire potentially Jerry Maguire is the only okay. okay. What I love, what I love about Jerry Maguire, and I'm, Liz, please, I'm going to let you finish. But what I love about Jerry Maguire is that that movie posits that maybe Tom Cruise could fall in love if it was a business arrangement, and I'm like, I could see it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think Jerry I also Maguire, like Bonnie, but Bonnie Hunt also is like, I would fall in love with Renee Zellweger if Bonnie Hunt was her sister as well. So I'm like, sure, okay. sure, sure, sure. But I, I love Jerry Maguire, but it's kind of more about Maguire. Renee Zellweger's or Dorothy's like love of him and less about his That's of her, true. you know? So it's kind of a one-way street. Weirdly, I would say that he and Nicole Kidman actually kind of have good chemistry in Days of Thunder, which well, is funny. Okay, that I was like, here we're going back. We're <laughs> no, no, no. Shannon. I can't believe you um, haven't done your Shannon he and Brad uh, Pitt in in uh, in interview. I, I I I think specifically with women, he doesn't have a ton of chemistry. Elizabeth I think, Shue like, cocktail. No. I think, no. Um, but I, I and I don't mean that in any other way than like I. It clearly his career hasn't suffered. Clearly, it's not like uh, I. I don't think it's a negative. I think it's an interesting thing. And and I what I actually like about his relationship with Demi Moore is that like because there's no chemistry, it's like this fun banter for me at least. And I feel that same way. But I also feel the same way of like sort of the relationship he has with Demi Moore is like the relationship he has with Goose and Top Gun is just sort of like we're partners and I and I'm in on it. Um, I don't know that he's like an incredibly sexual being. The sex scene in Jerry Maguire is is hands down one of the most uncomfortable moments I've ever spent watching a film. And like but when I'm he okay. makes out literally with his wife in Eyes Wide Shut and you're just like, no, I'm sorry, <laughs> but no, like it's but just like, yeah, but, but I think so for me, the sexual chemistry, if you want to call that of, mm-hmm. of, of a few good men is the thing that is lacking the most. And I actually like, I hate their date. I like, I, it's, it's oh, like, really? my, yeah, because it's not, it's, oh. it's like, if we're going to go there with Sorkin, because it's all about how he's, she's trying to impress him. Like at well, at dinner, he's like, "Why are you always reading me your resume?" And she's like, "Because I want you to think I'm a good lawyer. I think you're a good lawyer. No, you don't. Yes, I did that. Um, but like, it's it's that that's what it's all about. It's not about like, hey, we should date after this. It's that she's trying to get the boy to like her and to respect her, and he doesn't. It's funny. Tell you what, like, now I'm thinking it reminds me of the opening of a social network. Oh, it's so, but the opening of Social Network is like all time. Yeah, no, but I just mean like it's a bad date. Yeah. Is my point? Oh yeah, it's um, a very bad date. My takeaway from that date scene is is Demi Moore eats is it lobster or crab Don't with a knife like in her mouth yeah. the whole time, yeah. and the whole time I'm like sweating because like she's supposed to save her tongue off every time she does that. I'm like, what are you doing? Who uses a knife like a fork? Yeah, it's like I also she like, is, like lives in the wild. Where where they're in DC, right? Correct. That's yeah. where they are. Yeah. Just, that restaurant does not exist in DC. Known for like that is just that that is just not a restaurant that exists. Yeah. I don't maybe buy they, that. Maybe they took the train up to Baltimore. Maybe they were. Like, I buy that the, there's a train. I buy it. that there's a restaurant like that in Baltimore. But like, yeah, if they're yeah. like lawyers in DC proper, like they're going someplace where there's a bunch of people in suits and like drinking scotch neat 
and like and that's seeing the Aaron vibe. Sorkin as a cameo yeah. at the bar. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, but that I think scene like, essentially could work without it even being a date. Is the thing they basically just talk exactly. about work anyway. Like, there's yeah. you could remove the they're they're so good together in like that argument where he's going to get them a different lawyer and 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 she's like, you're just a used car salesman. You know, like you're nothing. Oh, you know? so good. It's a and, great line. And like even like their first meeting when he comes in there with like the apple and he's like, I can't. I can't. I can't touch anything because I got like apple juice in my hands. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. Like, yeah. And he and she hates his guts. Like they are great together. You're right, but it's just it's not a romantic chemistry thing. His his romantic chemistry, what we're all dancing around, is is with us, the audience. It's that's it. And every movie he does is with the camera. You know, like that's his thing. He is very I, yeah. very charming. Like I I don't mean oh, to suggest because yeah. I don't think that he's asexual necessarily i agree with you liz that he struggles to have romantic chemistry and i would i would argue that that now that he's paired with women slightly closer to his age it's feeling a little bit more excuse me genuine like i think that him and jennifer Connolly have very nice chemistry in uh maverick it's as you said they they have sex with their clothes on in that movie basically like i'm not really sure what's going on with the sex scene of that movie but i i'm just saying that like he does there's something there but i agree that it's it's lack but you know what's great about that scene sorry Mm. is that like is the moan after where he jumps out the window and sees the daughter like uh, sure i will sit through this uncomfortable sort of whatever scene to have that moment because that tells me so much more and there is i think almost no movie star in the world who can do that scene that well it in this like in that movie that is like a movie about fighter pilots and suddenly we're watching a five minute scene of him like looking at a daughter through a window (laughs) so i think like yeah, in a non-creepy yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. I think Tom Cruise is always playing a 12-year-old boy's idea of what a man is, like across <laughs> his entire yes. career. Sure. Like the sex scene in Top Gun Maverick makes so much more sense if you think sex is like just two people kind of randomly bumping up against each other while they're fully <laughs> clothed. And then you're like, oh, and then you got to jump out the window and like you get seen by some like and you know um for all uh for all of his many great performances you know even like eyes wide shut is like you know yes obviously if you're 12 years old you think that sex takes place in weird underground <laughs> cults but like no I, he's very much playing they don't the, listen i live in hollywood i know how it I, all goes true. it's i live in hollywood <laughs> um but yeah he's always playing like what a kid thinks a man is and i think that's like part of his appeal I think there's something to that for sure. I, I yeah, I want to sort of uh, talk about the courtroom drama component of this for a second, because I mm-hmm. do think that I don't think it two things didn't surprise me watching this again. The first is that uh, Tom Cruise does the firm directly after this, um, because this movie does sort of tap into a little bit of the Grisham world that was existing around that time. And Lord knows I would love Grisham movies to come back because it feels like we don't have any legal dramas, any courtroom, like none of that stuff exists anywhere, quite frankly. You don't even have it on television, which is insane. So like, be that as it may. I'm with you. Let's (laughs) go. It seems crazy to me. And I feel like that is, you know, there was that time when for network television was like cops, doctors, and lawyers. And I feel mm-hmm. like the lawyers part has just, for whatever reason, just kind of disappeared. Well, no, yeah. now they're Suits all, was like the last but it's one. Also, yeah. But also yeah. like now they're all that it's like right. the star right. of a television show who is a cop by morning, doctor by e- middle of the day <laughs> yes. and lawyer by night. Right. It's like, exactly. you yeah. can't have it as separate shows yeah it sounds like someone's not watching cbs's delightful legal procedurals 
So help me, Todd. Uh, <laughs> sounds it sounds like I've made that up, doesn't it? You're like, no, you're Did right. we just you're right. make that up? I'm no, it's watching. real. And but it, that even that has like elements of cop show because like there's like yeah. an investigator who's one of the main. Todd is an investigator. Amazing. Uh, the other thing so is me, is uh, Sorkin adapting To Kill a Mockingbird for the mm-hmm. stage, um, which he did, you know, relatively recently, pre and post pandemic, I guess, depending on how you look at it. Um, you know, I, I think that it's kind of surprising that Sorkin hasn't done another. I mean, I guess is Malice a legal drama? It has legal scenes. It's got scenes in a courtroom. No, um, but it is also about basically somebody with a massive god complex. So correct. There's that. Correct. Alec Baldwin, who probably does have a God complex in real that life. That is a wild movie. <laughs> it's a wild. wild. Yes. Yes. And, and kind of amazing. Like kind of insane that it exists. And kind of, anyway, I, yes. I'm, I'm not going to ride for Malice. But sure. I do think that Sorkin not doing another legal drama is a little surprising to me just because um, he loves people talking really quickly on top of each other. And that feels like that's what courtroom. I mean, Social Network has the, de- has the deposition sort of as, as, yes. the, as the Framework. bookend of yeah. the of the movie but i agree with you i mean by the way i will ride or die for a courtroom drama is that is like i i feel like of children of the 80s and 90s like this is what we grew up on Um, and your your most recent show has a fair amount of legal scenes in it Um, it does and what's interesting is like i I actually and brian talks about this a lot so i won't steal it but i'll tee him up is that i think um the direction of the courtroom scenes in this is so wildly underrated we watched a ton of courtroom scenes when we were shooting Plainville because I ended up directing all of the courtroom (laughs) and um in about 48 hours and there's just like not a lot to do that's different like you just can't do a ton that's different it's it's and and intentionally so that like an audience is used to watching a courtroom drama a certain way we've just been sort of conditioned to see it either in features or in television that it's ingrained and to sort of like flip it on its head is almost unsettling. And so there's obviously reasons to do that, but there's also reasons that you shouldn't. Um, But we spent like seven days in our courtroom set shooting. Like, I think we ended up shooting like 70 pages of this courtroom stuff. And you just at a certain point, you're like, I don't know, like point a camera there. That sounds good. But well, what he what what Reiner does in this movie, I think, is actually very very underrated. And now, Brian, you can. Well, I feel like uh, I mean, a courtroom scene and anything is so difficult because of the amount of people, right, who you have to cover. And in this movie is is the is the perfect example, right? Because even Kevin Bacon is a great character in this. You know, I'm sorry. Got... Wait, Robert Richardson shot this movie? I'm yeah, sorry. this was one that of his is first movies. Fucking right? wild. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. And Aviator, right? And he forced, right? And he forced, uh, he forced Hugo. to do it in uh, in CinemaScope, basically. Like they shot it wow. in like super widescreen. Right. Right. It's anamorphic lenses. You know, we're 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 racking focus all over the place. Like yep. for me, this is a symphony of editing. That everything that happens in the courtroom, like we we are never on the wrong person. We get every reaction shot we want. We we don't stay too long. And for me, it sounds crazy, but honey, we talk about this all the time. One of my favorite shots in film history is the simple setup in this movie where when when Tom Cruise is questioning Nicholson, sorry, Kathy is questioning Jessup. And it's the it's the coverage over, it's kind of over we're clean of Jessup on Tom Cruise. And you know we're kind of like tilted up on him just a little bit, and the camera barely moves, and and we don't change sizes either. Tom Cruise just 
like kind of is, is sort of is, is kind of like a medium shot. And then at times he comes right up to like a close up and then he like backs up again. And even for the, for the very final, he's pumping his fist and he's like, and then you ordered Marcus into whatever. And everyone's shouting over each other. It's still that exact same angle. Like, and for me, it is, it's the best Tom Cruise has ever looked. The lighting is immaculate. The performance is incredible. I, I would pay a thousand (laughs) dollars to just watch the dailies of just that. Like it is it is beautiful. And like, so for me, but almost by the way, that, I'm sure Rob Reiner would love to do that with you. It yeah, sounds yeah, like sure. a good time. <laughs> like, re- re- release the dailies cut. Um, but like, it is, yeah. it is just, it's so beautifully acted and performed. Like it is, it is the, it's everything that you could want a courtroom drama scene to be, you know, like, so what it's, is- it's, it's, it's apex mountain for a courtroom. I feel I like you more. And I, I also feel like, you know, this was a play first, right? So this this movie feels like a movie and yet also allows the words to do the work. I think part of the reason that Rob Reiner didn't get a Best Director nomination, even though I would argue he should have got one over Martin Brest for Scent of a Woman, is that the script is so, like, looms so large, which is why it's shocking that neither of them got nominations. But I almost feel like, Sorkin's words make Reiner not seem as though he's quote unquote mm-hmm. doing anything. It's a very, it also should be said that Rob Reiner, and I, we should talk about the run that he has that, that he stumbles and then. Oh, it's wild. Around. It's like, but it's a wild stand by run. Me, this yeah, it's I mean, American this president. Is, by tap. me, I mean, princess bride. Princess yeah. bride. When Harry Misery. Out, when Harry I mean, yeah, it's incredible. It's North. But North, and then it all kind of goes to shit. But North, <laughs> North breaks him. North, like he North does American president. North broke everyone. North, yeah. and then it's just nothing. It's but just, he's also yeah. he's kind of an anonymous filmmaker. And I know yes. that there are some filmmakers that just don't have like a style, don't have a thing that make you realize that they're there. Um, and I think that's why Reiner kind of gets lost in all of this because it feels like he didn't quote unquote direct it, even though obviously he did. I think like watching this. Yeah. And then watching Sorkin's other courtroom movie, um, Trial of Chicago 7. Right. Like yeah. watching those two, sure. which court, Trial of Chicago 7, I think is a terrible movie. Yeah. But I think a lot <laughs> of that is on his direction. And you watch this and you're like, Rob Reiner is doing really a really great job of keeping the action moving and keeping your focus where it needs to be. And Chicago 7, like, is just kind of all over the place. And I've liked Sorkin's direction in other things. It, it's just like... You watch these two things opposite each other and you feel like, okay, like you see what Rob Reiner brings to the table. Well, I think that, I mean, you brought up Sorkin's direction, so I do want to kind of mention it for a second because I do think that um, he's not a great director. Uh, Part of that being um, that he doesn't know how to direct his own words. The, the, The thing that I think people that direct Sorkin's scripts understand is emphasis. And Um, editing. and editing. Like, I, I yeah. think we we actually think there's so much in these movies and scripts and um, in the dialogue. And there's, I'm sure, an enormous amount that has been edited before walking sure. on set, you know, just sure. in terms of director to writer of how, we, what are we trying to convey and how much do we actually have to say to get there um, and, and not losing, I think, the, the like magic of Sorkin. Um, having an editor in terms of like your own work not like a visual editor is really really important and like having another opinion who can say no to you Mm -hmm. is super duper important it's it's also feels like 
he thinks that every single word needs to be at 11 of importance, Mm -hmm. like everything. Whereas obviously other directors recognize the modulation of like when emphasis is important and when it's not. And I do think that that's why he shouldn't direct his own scripts. I I genuinely believe that, that that's a a problem for him. Um, It's a a problem for many of us. Look, (laughs) we've all been there. And I mean, look, it is, it is like, I do think it is, um, like I, I, I did TV, so and and I did an episode that um, one of our writers wrote that I you know worked on with them, and then I did an episode with, which I had written, and like the directing the episode that I had written was by far the most like difficult and and helpless I felt on set because there's like no one there to fix it; it's just fucking you, and you're like, this is bad. And I have led us to this place and there is there's really no way to get us out of here. So apologies, everyone. <laughs> but I think um I think what you're saying about Reiner is really true. And and I, I think I think it's not that he doesn't have style, it's that his style isn't flashy. It's that mm-hmm. he is sure, sure. telling the story and letting the characters live in there. Like if I, I would say if there's anything, it's that he's like, Hey Jack, you wanna chew the scenery? Great. Please do. Like, I'll make sure everyone else is dialed down so that when you scream for five minutes, it doesn't feel like I'm it's done abrasive. It's gonna win you an Academy Award. You know, I think like it's it's that I think is the um like the sort of the genius of him in his ability to simplify everything else that's going on and allow the performances to stand out and allow us to feel enmeshed in the story and that like you can't i I actually think it's like not i mean look you can like look at social network which is fincher who i think is not i don't know that i would say he's flashy but probably has like the one of the more signature directing styles of contemporary cinema and then you look at this with rob reiner who i think does not have a signature style Mm -hmm. and i mean like it's hard to compare them, but I just think there's like a very distinct difference in that. And there's um, a very distinct difference in tone. And there's a very distinct difference in the storytelling and the intention of the storytelling. And you, yeah, on. sorry. No, no. Go. Uh, you talking about this has helped me sort of put my finger on a thing I've always like struggled to talk about is why Ron Howard and Rob Reiner, like why they work as directors, not always, but like when their their best movies are very good. And I think it is, you know, they're not flashy visual directors or anything like that, but they came out of performing and particularly mm-hmm. they came out of performing on TV. They are really good directors of TV. actor yeah. ensembles. Like they know exactly how to have all the actors interact with each other yeah. and in a way that is very satisfying to watch when it works, when it doesn't work, you're like, what is happening right now? But like <laughs> when it works, it's just very tremendously satisfying. Well, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that Rob Reiner and, and I guess and Ron Howard really to an extent, I think helped define sort of like the house style in like the mid to late 80s and like early 90s that so many of our of our I think our generation, like beloved kind of adult oriented sort of movies like. It just it sounds like, like we're the, talking about porn. So well, it's like, adult oriented. <laughs> I mean, like whether it was the, the Rob Reiner X rated like, cut of a few like, men. You know, Woo! The, 
Get that. <laughs> the, fugit- the fugitive, right? Uh, in the line of fire, I was just talking about like regarding Henry and Forever Young the other day. Mm-hmm. Like all us. these movies, the like, first two were great you, choices. Like, but like all the directors sort of feel somewhat interchangeable, they're, but yeah. they're not. But it was, I think it was, you know, we talked today about how like the Marvel movies have like a house style and house tone, and and there was that that vibe that existed in popular cinema at that time in the eighties, nineties, when like effects hadn't quite taken over everything and neither had like franchise movies, but we were no longer making like, you know, harder seventies, you know, movies anymore. And like, it was this, there was a warmth. I, I think you're totally right. It comes from like the performance and like the ensemble and they kind of, the best, the best special effect in any of those movies is is the script and is sure. like the character work and and they kind of those directors I feel like just kind of step back and kind of put that first and didn't try to make you know Ed TV I think, or, or yeah. I, think I, I can, like Ed TV but uh, I mean I, <laughs> I just think I can say, put my yeah, I'm sorry go ahead. No, you go okay I was just gonna say that I think to to piggyback on what everyone's saying here I think that the um the ensembleness also speaks to something that Sorkin has been very uh open about loving which is camaraderie uh the idea of behind the scenes of a group of people all working together towards a common goal and I think you're feeling that here too I love the scenes when it's Joe Sam and and uh (laughs) Danny just like figuring out what they're going to do with the case like that type of shit is just gold to me it's I yep. I mean I love the scene with the baseball bat and he's like where's yes. my bat where'd you put my yeah. bat and then he's like he, he really does, does good ideas <laughs> yeah it's like it's great I mean what I was gonna say is it's I sort of like sitting here and thinking of of I was comparing Social Network and A Few Good Men in my head and then I was sort of like comparing David Fincher and Rob Rodder which I don't know is a sentence that's ever left anyone's <laughs> mouth before but I was like what is the it's kind of what you're saying Emily I was like what is the intention behind it and I think there is no moment in watching A Few Good Men that I feel that the camera or the mirror has been turned on myself. There is no moment of this movie where I feel any self-reflection. There's no moment of this where I feel that I am empathetic beyond how I'm supposed to, to, empath- supposed to empathize with these characters. Sure. Whereas in Social Network and sort of every Fincher movie, is it's very like we're jumping the line and the camera's pointed at you. And like, what would you do? Do you think he's an asshole? Do you, would you betray your friend? It's all, I think very much settled around making the audience uncomfortable with whatever propositions are out there or or theses are out there in the film. And there's something incredibly respectable to me about a filmmaker who's like, I just really want to make a good movie where you like get it and you enjoy it. And you, and, and Emily, what you were saying about Ron Howard, I was thinking about Apollo 13 and I was like, can you make that movie any better? Is there is there any is there any way to make no. that movie better? I don't think there is because if you make it flashy, if you make it shiny, you lose the performances. You lose like actually I think probably a lot of the logic of like fully understanding what is happening. I'm not an astronaut. So like I need somebody to break it down. And yeah. it's the simplification of it I think is really important. And I mean talk about a play. It's basically three guys in a tube for an hour and, and a half can up and... yeah but so i i think that's kind of and brian and i talk about this a lot of like is there a better version of this movie yeah. you know like could sure this movie is what it is and i don't mean a few good men but like any movie sort of it exists how it exists is there a better version of a few good men i think you could argue that there's like a couple of uh demi more things that we could do and <laughs> i think sure. sure but i think in terms of what this is i don't know that there is i think it's kind of perfect for I, what it is 
I do I just think- for a quick second want to kind because I do think that the, the Ron Howard filmography really the arc of it really exemplifies exactly what you were talking about, Brian, of like the house style of those kind of mid-budget adult quote-unquote movies. Uh, <laughs> this is Spinal Tap, The Sure Thing, Stand By Me, The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, Misery, A Few Good Men. So that run is pretty unimpeachable. He does North, which, as we said, broke, it seems, everybody's brains. He comes back to Sorkin for The American President oh. um, after North. And that's kind of the end of the run because then it's Ghost of Mississippi, which is mm. a bad movie. And then, as Emily can attest, Story of Us, which we talked about in our uh, 1999 episode, I actually think is the moment when he officially loses the thread because... Oh, that's goes- the Michelle Pfeiffer one? Yes. Willis. Yeah. Yeah. Willis. It's, it's really- Although her being a crossword puzzle creator is still iconic. Like, what a what a job <laughs> sure. for a character. And her monologue about Chinese food at the end is, you know, uh, obviously unbelievable. But it is it that's the movie, I think, where he officially loses like he's got two big movie stars and he's trying to kind of play in his pocket a little bit in terms of the Harry Met Sally of it all and it's just a a outright disaster then you got Alex and Emma rumor has it that terrible graduate remake Mm. like and then it's all just movies that don't really exist bucket list and what have you but like it's just it's just make like a bunch of money though bucket list was a hit yeah it did yeah it did so I'm not that's not I mean I'm not quantifying that in terms of its of its like quality but I do want to ride for Reiner's 2010 teen comedy flipped which is pretty cute I've actually heard that's really is that the one that like takes place in the 50s yeah it's he's a very good he's a very good director of kids it's like nobody saw it. It's a very cute movie. I'm not going to say it's one of the best movies ever made or anything, sure. but, or that it's on the level of his best movies. But it for late period Reiner, a thing everyone thinks about a lot. <laughs> it's good. But I'll say this. <laughs> I, I don't think he's coming back. Like, I don't think that Rob Reiner is going to find his fastball all of a sudden and blow everybody away and be like, you know, oh, there's the guy that that we couldn't really pinpoint in a genre for 20 years or whatever. Like, and and that's a bummer, but I think that it is emblematic of Hollywood right now, right? Which is but that I, also, I don't think he I think exist. we moved on. Well, I, I think we, yeah. I, I yes. think we've, Absolutely. I mean, honestly, like it's, it's interesting doing the Reiner Fincher comparison because like we as a collective society have moved on to Fincher. We've moved on to wanting our directors to have an opinion. We've moved on to right. directors being movie stars. Like sure. <laughs> also, you know, Ron Howard's still out there because Todd Field thinks 13 Lives is the greatest movie of the year. So I just want to put that out there. Paul um, Thomas Anderson said it was the best. It was Oh, sorry. Best. Paul Thomas Anderson. For what it's worth. You know. Yeah. So sorry. Which is also the, crazy. the skinny white male auteur that <laughs> only makes a movie every seven years. I mix it up in a, for a second. It's true. It's but true. Um, no shade, just accuracy. Yeah, true. Um, I, I think that I think that it's interesting that reiner was so successful in this like warm blanket of directing mm-hmm. of this is the comfort movie we want to see also i think it's really interesting that you can like look at what's happening in our country when these movies are all coming out like we're going from reagan to clint to hw to clinton mm-hmm. like in yeah. this run mm-hmm. and then it sort of ends when the world becomes segmented in in a very aggressive way and like the beginning of the end um there are some nice years in there, but it was, it was okay, all sure. just, you know, <laughs> pretty terrible. Um, and so I think it's like interesting to look at what we are looking at for comfort and there's nostalgia in it and there's like a safety in it. And there's, we're not being asked any hard questions. Now we're like, you are absolutely wasting your time in apparently all films that are three hours long 
by not asking any hard questions. Like you just, you, why, yeah. how dare you make a film unless you are making me uncomfortable and forcing me to have an emotional mm-hmm. response, which I don't disagree with as a sure. contemporary filmmaker. But I think saying all filmmakers have to be artists is a very dangerous thing. And I, and I also think the rise of television has probably lost all of these filmmakers. I also mm-hmm. do wonder, this movie is critical of the military for what it's worth. Um, it, it is a movie about how like, like no, being a bully not. doesn't get to anyone. <laughs> Go ahead. Being Phil. a bully isn't, isn't great um period whether it's in the military or in any sort of way and that that's also very much a sorkin thing i think he was bullied as a kid is, is my is my takeaway because it feels like <laughs> he's a writer of course he was bullied as a kid <laughs> this is a yeah. fair, fair point but but to your point yes the everybody knows you can't handle the truth you know it's, i think it's one of like afi's most famous yeah. lines in movie history it deserves yeah. to be but it, you'd be surprised how many people probably don't know then what comes afterwards which is this monologue <laughs> where like he's kind of got a point about like you know you need me on that you want me on that wall yeah. and and that like his his existence while like right disgusting to you is yeah. necessary yeah. and like it's, should we just do it you want to do it <laughs> why no, the only one i can do is the speech earlier about uh about any day and twice on sunday That's it. why doesn't yeah. everyone quote the line i'm going to rip the rip eyes out your, <laughs> rip out your it, eyes and piss into your death skull that is an all timer i'm gonna rip your eyes out and piss into your dead skull you fucked with the wrong marine it's whoa it's really incredible it just comes out he's sort of like what's happening am i being charged with a crime yeah yeah Uh, yeah. and then suddenly we cut to a new angle and he's like ah he's like a monster iconic cruise move of he's just like whatever you're going to jail it's like there's no emotional response if somebody said that to me i'd be like first of all I absolutely fucking believe that you could do that because you're Jack Nicholson and I am not convinced you haven't done that before. Second of all, you're in a court of law, my man, where you just admitted to murder and you're like, all bets are off. See you later. I was like, wow. Can we we talk about Nicholson for a second here? Because I do think that it's he's also at a very interesting crossroads in his career at this time, because I feel like he's. Post the Joker, which was really kind of the moment when his entire existence. Excuse me, we call it Batman of... 1989 in this. Yeah, household. sorry, Batman 1989. Uh, my yeah. my apologies. Uh, I, I do, <laughs> I do think I'm just pulling up his filmography here because he's at this sort of crossroads where he's become a little bit of a caricature of himself. I mean, literally, mm-hmm. Batman is this obviously this seismic thing. But before that, you still had Witches of Eastwick, which is also him like playing the devil. Like he's really leaning into like what people assume Nicholson is, I guess. He does Batman in 89. It is the the, the uh, uh, aforementioned the two Jakes after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he does A Few Good Men, Hoffa, Wolf, um, then he directs The Crossing Guard. He makes a movie called Blood and Wine. He's in mm-hmm. Mars Attacks. Like, it really, as good as it gets in 97 is, uh, you know, a reclamation. Everyone kind of is like back on the Nicholson train. But then, you know, you've got about Schmidt, which some people love. I'm not the biggest fan of it, but some people love it. Something's got to give The Departed. Like, he's still in big movies. He's still very much Jack Nicholson. Guess what? Nicholson. Kenny's not here. The Departed's a great fucking movie. <laughs> It's an excellent fucking movie. I love Get out of he here, took this opportunity. Uh, but that's, I mean, be that as it may, The Departed aside, Nicholson still is Nicholson, even post this movie. But this movie, he is walking a fine line of like kind of, there's a little bit of Joker in this performance at times. I think He's Nicholson's big. skill big. is playing over the top people who nonetheless seem human. 
And like, that's, he's like the only actor who can do that in some weird way. I agree with that. I sort of feel like Jack Nicholson and Al Pacino wound up having sort of similar career trajectories. Obviously, Nicholson is, you know, more awarded and is is probably, you know, the greater of the actors. But they both, as they got older, kind of became these outsized characters that they could not play. And they couldn't play any other roles except for themselves in these films. And it's, you almost, you can't even... It, he's a different actor in this movie than he was in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, you know, like, oh, sure. or Chinatown. Like, it's just really, it's really bananas. But I do feel like this is the the most effective he is in, like, that late era Jack Nicholson. You know, like, he, yeah. that I, scene where he's with J.T. Walsh and he's like, so I need you to sit down. I'm going to tell you, like, yeah. I know that we went to school together and we, like, we served together. But he's like... But like I've been promoted ahead of you like a bunch of times, and like I don't care if that's hard for you. Like yeah. I don't give a shit about you. <laughs> and JT like, Walsh, by the way, it's amazing. JT Walsh, all timer in this movie. Oh yeah, he's great. He's um, I think there's, there's, I do actually disagree a little bit, and that I think there's like connective tissue in this to Chinatown in particular, because mm-hmm. I, I think that that is that's the first Jack Nicholson movie I remember seeing and being like, oh, Jack Nicholson, like mm-hmm. it's. He's a little big in it at times. He's like a little sloppy in that sort of like Jack Nicholson, am I drunk here way, just sort of like at all times. And he's really charismatic. I mean, he's so, it's it's one of the first times that I was ever like, this character's a total trash human, but like I'm really connected to him and really interested in seeing what he does. And there, and there are, I think, very few char- uh, actors who can do that with characters that are really despicable and make them so charismatic. I mean, look, in the range of despicability of people in that movie, he's very low on the totem pole. But just in terms of like, you know, watching him is, is t- it's, he's pretty tough. Um, and I, I, and I, and I, yeah, the, the last thing I was gonna say is like, we know, the other thing that I think is interesting that they do in this movie is there is, there is absolutely no mystery in the film that, mm. that he committed the code red or he, he ordered the yeah. code red. There is, it's the first five minutes of the movie. You're like, all right. So, I mean, going back to Ebert's review, perhaps there's some truth in that. Sure. But I think he, he's like, he's despicable from the beginning. He's a bad guy from the beginning. There's there's no sort of come up from him. And he is magnetic in every single scene. And all you want to do is watch him. And like the scene that has like the most outdated dialogue of 1992. Yes. The F-bomb really, is, the, the is tough F-bombs. and we really, yes. we can't. Yes, yeah. and we can't get it. Says it later. It's right when he's doing the impression. But yeah. Nicholson is so good in that scene at that table with the cigar. Yes. He owns and with, everybody. And, yeah. and by the way, that's not the only terrible thing about that. Is like he is the really Joe? disgusting when he talks about yeah. Joe and yeah. like awful. But it's incredible. Yeah, Tom Cruise. He, is he's like supposed to be a horrible. in it and yes. like yeah. and all that. And then and you're still just like. What's going to happen? You're like, well, I know what's going to happen. But this this taps <laughs> into something that I want to unpack for a second here, because I think that this also speaks to a time gone by, thankfully, to a certain degree. But like Nicholson as sex symbol went on for a very long time. Okay. Here like, for it. Let's really? go. Really? Oh, okay. let's go. So yes. but in terms of endearment, even, right? Which is a beast he was still a sex symbol. He's still yeah. a sex symbol in Witch of Eastwick. He's having sex with three of the most stunning, gorgeous women in I in saw him at a Lakers 80s. game like 15 years ago. Still a sex symbol. Like Really? Hot. Yes. Yeah. No, I have no, I cannot oh. explain it. I cannot explain okay. it other than like. Okay. I don't want you to try. Your husband's face right now is <laughs> tremendous. Um, I, I think like there is something so commanding about him and okay. so like. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You want me on that wall? You need me on that wall? Yeah. Fuck yeah, I do. Sure. Okay, yes. I get I get that. I guess what I'm saying is as it progresses, and by that I mean when you get to as good as it gets and he's hooking up with Helen Hunt, or even Wolf, where he's hooking up with a staggeringly beautiful Michelle Pfeiffer in that film, where you're just like, there is 20, 30 years of gap between these people. I just, it's icky, is ultimately what it comes down to. I feel like Jack yes, Nicholson okay. werewolf can hook up with whoever he wants. I feel like that yeah, is a deadly like, combination right? I like of that sexual, movie too. yeah. Change me to that radiator it. right next to him. I, I have less of a problem. It's funny, and as good as it gets, um, yeah. I, I have less of a problem with the age difference, which I know uh-huh. is like a massive thing, and more of just like, he's, he's sure. a real trash human, and like, he's so... <laughs> And he's so, um, yeah, like, just gross and, like, mean. And Mm -hmm. that, for me, as a role and performance, is harder to get behind because I find, like, the things that come out of his mouth so incredibly offensive. (laughs) Like, I know it's the trailer line, but when it's, like, you know, how do you write women so well? I take a man and then I remove, like, logic and all of these things. It's, like, yikes. Um, (laughs) So I I think, and I get that. I get that him, yeah. like, you know, coming to terms with being an asshole is basically, sure. like, the point of the movie. But I think him just diving in and being like, I'm a fucking wolf, Michelle Pfeiffer, or, like, <laughs> I'm the bad guy, is just like, all right, cool, sign me up. Wolf. They should have put that on the poster. I'm, I'm a, a fucking, fucking wolf, wolf. Michelle Pfeiffer. I'll, I, I'll, I, I'll I would... let them have it for, like, the 40th anniversary release. You know, what you what you just said, the, the line from As Good As It Gets made me think of a quote here from Aaron Sorkin, who said that he got a note from an executive on A Few Good Men that said, if Tom Cruise and Demi Moore aren't going to sleep with each other, why is Demi Moore a woman? To which he responded, oh. what? <laughs> Women have purposes other than to sleep with Tom Cruise? Was the question the executive had. Um, this is 1992, and obviously it's an unnamed person, but like Sorkin still looks at that moment and sort of, which is, I mean... Aaron Sorkin grappling with writing female characters is an interesting journey in mm-hmm. and of itself because it does feel like he has is CJ. It, it is. Do we need though, to just, grapple with it? Well, I just, I just mean in yeah. the sense that like CJ Craig is one of my favorite female characters of television ever. Um, he's written tremendous, wonderful women. That being said, CJ Craig's introduction is her falling off of a treadmill. So like, it's you look. Know... I broke my hip putting pajama pants on. Sometimes it happens. Oh, it's, it's real. Well, and the the seeds are even in this, right? We meet Galloway, uh, right? Rehearsing her lines that she's going to say to her bosses. And then then they're like, we actually need you to go out in the hallway, like, so we can talk about you behind your back. Like, she's already at a disadvantaged position and like, that kind of like struggling to keep up. It's a little bit, it's it's a little tough. Yeah. There's this weird, there's this weird, like uh, Aaron Sorkin and and, um, Joss Whedon are these two guys Mm -hmm. in the 90s who are like, they write great women. They write amazing feminist 
characters. Uh-huh. And then, you know, time passes and people are like, but do they? And like, it, it is, you know, Aaron, Aaron Sorkin doesn't have all the, the terrible allegations against him that like Joss Whedon does, but there's a similar situation where it's like this, this thing that is very groundbreaking very quickly becomes non-groundbreaking. And that happens to a lot of people who like are heralded for writing a certain type of sure. uh, situation. Well, you know, sure. I, I do think, think that it's also, yeah, please, I, please. I think there's also like when there's a massive vacuum, mm. which is that there are outside of Nora Ephron, no other women that are at, a, are, are writing female characters. Mm-hmm. So you just have to turn to, you basically are like, oh my God, a man put a woman with a brain in a movie, like mm-hmm. dope. Let's give him the feminist award of 1992. I think like the the bar is extremely low. Having said that, Sorkin has written two of my favorite female characters, CJ Craig and Sidney Ellen Wade. Like I I think Annette Benning and Sidney Ellen Wade are all timers and I am here for it. And I'll come back when you get to that year. I think it's like, I mean, I'm here. Yeah, I live yeah, here. Yeah. Um, but I think, so it, it's sort of, when you have that, that black hole that exists, it is difficult to now in retrospect um, give points to just having a woman exist in a film. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I, I also just want to give a, a small shout out to, um, I think that Kate Winslet in Steve Jobs is a great character. And I think yeah. that there's completely a lot of agree. interesting female characters in that film as well. But yes, yeah. no. Rooney Mara and Social Network. I don't think that's a great character, but it's a great way of him using his weaknesses to like mm-hmm. get to a larger point. Like I love, I love that performance. I love that scene. I think, um, yeah, I, 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 I love do, the scene like, afterwards. I just, I love the scene afterwards when he like tries to go yeah. say like, "Hey, I'm famous now," and she's like, "Fuck, Fuck you, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, are you out of your mind? Leave." Yeah. I am fascinated yeah. by. Um, I think, you know, we sort of have gotten away from Reiner, but I think one of the neat things about him is like he opens this up from the play. Like you don't see a lot of play adaptations that are this open. And some of that is because the play was not that revered. It got kind of crummy reviews. It only got one Tony nomination, all these things. But also it's just like Uh, only one. Yeah, he understands. (laughs) He understands that like, you know, you need more locations and all. But also like he gets William Goldman to come in and do a rewrite. Mm -hmm. And you're like, who no, well, a, no one would do that to Sorkin now, but B like, it's clear that like Sorkin internalized a lot of what he learned from William Goldman. Like he worked some of that into the stage play, which he's revised multiple times. So it's, uh, it is a really interesting blending of sort of this talent that's taking off. And then this talent that was like the established standard at the time and sort of this two. Well, and it's a handoff. It really is a handoff because it's sort of Goldman leaves and dies and Sorkin kind of becomes the next generation's Goldman in a lot of way. I think rewrites. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think um, I just wanted to go back to Steve Jobs as well, because I actually like that. It was I've um, we're not going to go into it. I have a lot of I have a lot of tough reasons for that film that are, we'll talk about in therapy. I like. <laughs> think that Kate Winslet is stunning in that and I find her so underrated in that performance and I also think it is 
almost like CJ Craig 25 years later, just being like, are you fucking dummies? Like, it just feels like this maturation of, of a lot of his female characters finally getting to say to Steve Jobs slash Aaron Sorkin, like, stop making this difficult. Like, stop making this so hard. It's not that hard. And I and I think there's something really interesting about that. I, I think that that goes to the Rudy Mara character as well of just like, putting the words in her mouth that a lot of us are thinking, which is like, no, bro, like get the fuck away. I I think there's a lot of value in that. I also think that we should do a really fun offline um, guessing game of who that executive is. Cause I have thoughts. Yes. I can only imagine. (laughs) I I mean, I do think it is interesting, you know, you get the impression that Aaron Sorkin is trying to learn. Like he is trying to grow and he's trying to sort of, you know, as I said, grapple with this, like, how can I be better at this? Seeing his weakness and trying to get better at it. But then he also did being the Ricardo. So, you know, it's all kind of a, it's all kind of, I forgot that that movie existed. I mean, I also think like, look, To Kill a Mockingbird's my absolute favorite book. It's, I think, not shocking. There's a lot of particularly women of my generation or of any generation since 1961 that have have been affected by it and by Scout. And I think his decision to make that and make the entire fucking play about Atticus is a choice. A choice. <laughs> Having said that, like I thought it was beautiful and I loved the play and we saw it like with the original run of the cast. Oh, that's awesome. I thought it was like I was sort of overwhelmed at how toned down Sorkin was in that in in the play that like it was not super Sorkin easy. It was you could feel him in it, but it was very i think um faithful to harper lee's writing it was like really interesting but it's all about atticus like it's like jeff daniels is the lead of the show you know and and there's something and it's not a surprise about that. that that would be the case from aaron's no. for what that's worth but i i so i we're not we've we've jumped around through the plot already but there are a couple things that i do want to kind of pinpoint just as sort of as things that we didn't hit so much i so were steak knives a thing in the 90s was that like a thing <laughs> in every movie. yeah there's always about a set of steak knives why just, i just genuinely is that a, was that i mean listen i obviously uh maybe it was but anyway it feels like everyone gets a set of steak knives it's like the thing that that every the joke but anyway that's in this i wanted to take a quick second just and you brought up this scene brian the scene with uh jessup and markinson um the reason that i wanted to bring it up is because i think that this one of the things this movie does incredibly well is show the two sides of the military industrial complex to a certain degree and that idea of of being a hard ass or being kind this idea of can both those things coexist Mm -hmm. they should coexist ultimately in a perfect world and it feels like that is his you know in the classic naive Aaron Sorkin world they do coexist but I do think that these two characters showing both sides of that coin specifically with this uh you know uh Santiago's death and the various things that go into it but that scene in particular where you're seeing JT Walsh talk you're seeing his humanity you're seeing his desire to want to be a good person and how he also needs to have maybe more of a spine in order for that to actually come to fruition and nicholson just being nicholson and just steamrolling over him even just the blocking of the scene of him sitting on the desk the way it's shot he's over him the 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 sort of way that markinson feels so small and and it's it's a really beautiful scene that really kind of encapsulates the themes of the movie 
Yeah, well, and what's amazing to me every time I see the scene, first of all, you're you're right about all that. And what's crazy is that Markinson, that we later go on to learn, is like military intelligence. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. has he they done like really terrible stuff in his <laughs> life, and now that's why he's like grown a conscience now? Is that so. the story? But for me, and like and like, honey, we talk about this all the time. Sorry, Liz. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Don't call me that. Is, very is what's, what's interesting is that there's a version of this movie. It's exactly the same movie, exactly the same script. Still one of the greatest movies of all time. Sure. Without that scene, you could remove that scene. It's sort of, it's the Columbo scene, right? Where we see the bad guys do the thing. And what's weird is that it comes like, I want to say it's like five to 10 minutes into the movie. Really, we've really. already met Galloway We've already, and we've introduced the case. And then we kind of out of nowhere cut back to the past. It seems like a flashback because Santiago's yeah. reading his letter to us now. And then we just cut to a scene and the audience is like, wait, hold on a second. We already know we're like, it never, it never announces like one week earlier. Like it's really yeah. interesting. And like, I, I've never seen the stage play. I would, I would love to know if that scene exists in the play. It's a great scene, but it, all it does is tell us like, like you it's said earlier, everything. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that yeah, he orders to go red and, yeah. and uh, these are bad guys and, and you could still do the exact same movie and have, Galloway be just as convinced that she's like, I know that there's a code red there and that they just like keep scratching that scab as opposed to letting the audience in on it. So it's a really interesting, like in terms of like screenwriting, like, you know, building blocks that 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 scene is even there at all. I think I'd like you to never say the phrase scratching that scab ever again. (laughs) That was like horrifically. Why did I say scab? I don't know. It really made me uncomfortable. Um, (laughs) I I'm curious. I am curious, Emily, you're familiar with the play. I'm curious if that is in it and also i have no i have no idea like he's changed it so many times so many times right so that it may have been in the original but i I don't think it is anymore because i i think now if we make this movie you open with galloway walking in like that's the opening of this film and then you literally don't introduce nicholson until you get down there and like you just hear about jessup the whole time and he's he like he's one of those roles that doesn't show up until an hour and a half into the movie and you're like oh my god it's jack nicholson i it, Uh it it's I think it's really interesting. It feels very TV movie-ish to me that we mm-hmm. have that first 10 minutes, like yep. that with the voiceover, with everything. And I also like in talking about the like the weakest performances to me in this movie are the two guys. Like the two guys Dawson. feel oh, Dawson no. and Downey. I, look, they're in a great all-timer movie. They're fine. I like, but it does and he was in Twin Peaks. And yeah, he was in two weeks, so it's yeah, great. It's um, I but they definitely, I mean, and it's really not a knock against them. It's just like who they're surrounded by. It's very tough to stand out. If I'm in not that. mistaken, one of them was like a locations manager that Rob. He Ryan was, was like, like a. You strike me like a military man. I'm gonna put yeah. you in this. And he was. I think he was like retired military or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, or like ROTC or whatever. But um, it's it's that that's always been a little tough for me. Is that like the entire. And I think he's good when he goes toe to toe with Tom. When um, I don't remember if it's Dawson awesome. or Downey. Dawson, there you go. Harold Dawson. Um, mm. What a name! Uh, when he like goes toe to toe, he's good and things like that. But it's like in talking about the cast of this movie, because like J.T. Walsh, excellent. <laughs> the scene when he shows up in the back of the car, the great. Yeah. He's like he left her door open. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like amazing. Also, is that supposed to tell us that he's a spy that he can get into Tom Cruise's like 1950 Chevy that probably I could break into? Yeah, like what? There's also there's Why something else. The in... door was open. He could have gotten yeah. into his car. Well, right. actually, there's something in that scene also which I wanted to ask you guys about because I love it, but I, I I can never truly explain it. And it happens twice where where Kathy 
goes to get what appears to be a People magazine or or something at a magazine stand. And oh, yeah. his only interaction with that guy, who's great, is they speak to each other in like cliches on, on purpose, like having fun yeah. with it. Yeah. Like walked right into that one. Yeah. And that, and then that happens again when Mark, like, is I would is that in the play? I, I can't, I don't think I, so. There's, there's, they expanded it. It's really charming, but like, why does it happen? Yeah. Is, is it there just to the Doesn't setup he the first see time? that guy early? Doesn't he go to the... There's once before. Yeah. There's yeah. once before. So yeah. yeah. So like we've I think established. I it think it exists guy. earlier, so that when it happens again later, it's a real surprise that Markinson is in the back seat of his car. Yeah, it just feels like, like business. It just feels yeah. like business. Just the yeah. play. The yeah. play is so much more focused on the courtroom. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like a yeah. lot of this outside courtroom, even a lot of the like scenes where they're piecing is just not not really in there. You know, yeah. because it's 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 largely a one set play. I think most of the time. That makes yeah. Sense. That's right. But, yeah. which, is, which is interesting because, I mean, there's two things that, that I want to say, um, sort of a piggyback on what you guys are saying. The first is it is odd that this movie opens with a cold open, basically, from a television show of Santiago's death. You could have <laughs> just started straight up with the soldiers and the credits. Like, I don't you don't really need that. Especially because um, the soldiers are great flipping the, the guns and everything. It's really and, and it's just it just it really feels very TV. Are you guys in the military? I just want to know because you guys are like really into it right now. <laughs> I mean, um, so, so that is interesting just in terms of the way that the movie opens. Those first sort of like 12, 15 minutes that you guys are talking about does feel very kind of handholdy in terms of the audience sort of understanding the pieces of what's about to happen and all that. So I do think there is something to that. The other is uh, it is interesting, you know, if you cut that scene, you'd be cutting one of the three scenes that Nicholson is in for $5 million. <laughs> so he, I mean, he got very well paid for what I can only assume is maybe three days of work, is my guess. Bless. Bless. <laughs> I guess think what? He, I Earned think it. it. I think it he does say on Wikipedia it was five days of work. Like oh, I, imagine, I, I also make a million, million a dollars a day. <laughs> What are we, and, what are, yeah. I don't. What I are, work in digital wild. journalism, so yes, I'm just so, rolling I mean, in it. We're we're making um, feature films, which no one sees anymore. So it's just we are it's just. It's raining. I um that is so wild. Bless rolling it. Um, I think, I think it's, but also like, this is this is this should be a small movie. The fact yeah. that they had the budget to spend five million dollars on Jack Nicholson, let alone the amount of money that they're absolutely paying Tom Cruise, they're paying Reiner. Sorkin's probably not getting paid a ton of money because it's his first movie. But like they paid William Goldman a fuck ton of money to come in and do a rewrite on this. So like the money they're shelling out is so peak nineties to me that it like I it's that we just do not do anymore. Well, the, the above the line on this movie of. Yeah. Tom Cruise, Demi Moore, Nicholson. I mean, that's probably twelve or fifteen million of your thirty-three mm-hmm. million dollar budget. Like, mm-hmm. right. obviously, that doesn't happen anymore. And and more times than not, now so much of it is back end, so much of it is in in the potential of the film's success and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's insane. It's just a, a completely different world. It's a, it's a world of a, movie stars. I mean, yeah. it's it's a world of movie stars. It's a world we don't live in anymore. But like, what's interesting to me is so outside of sort of the big hitters, you have Kevin Pollak, who we haven't spoken a lot about, but I think is oh, fantastic We're get there. We're get in this movie. Like I, <laughs> Brian's <laughs> Brian's just been rehearsing his speech for the last <laughs> hour. Well, I, and also, like, I, was, I was like. The, Kevin Pollack is so funny in that in that in this movie, and like the first scene of his introduction where he's like, "Nope, no, nope, nope, nope," and that 
hit, and then he's like, so what you're telling me is I have zero responsibility on this. Like, he's just so, like, he's the straight guy. It's perfect, which I also think is interesting because I think often Tom Cruise is a straight guy. So mm-hmm. it's, like, it, an interesting foil for Tom Cruise to be kind of the, like, bigger comedic role in this mm-hmm. and to have a balance, whereas Kevin Pollack, I think, is more naturally a comedian. So it's... But then, like, was- Kevin Pollack has, like, the scene has like the monologue he's, that is he's like, fantastic yeah. and it was supposed to be jason alexander who uh, right, right. Yeah. who had to he couldn't do it because uh they were shooting seinfeld which got picked up at the time uh, i've which, heard of it uh, yeah it's a little, little little show called seinfeld but i i do think that kevin pollack je- first of all it should be said kevin pollack in general always great like i don't think he's ever bad um you know, he's obviously made a, a cottage industry of being a character guy who shows up and does the scenes. He's great. He's very good in this movie. Um, he does have an amazing monologue, which I'm sure Brian will will will. Uh, Chomping at the us. bit. Chomping uh, right. at the bit over here. But the, but the the, the, the Jason Alexander is thing is interesting because I was watching the performance this time, knowing that Jason Alexander uh, was supposed to be cast. Wow. And there and and there's a part of me that's like. I can kind of see it. I mean, listen, they're they're two they're two Jewy guys. Like I, I sort of get it. Like I'm not I'm not saying that it's but but Pollock has a reservoir of of depth there and like he, he can kind of go to places that I've never seen Jason Alexander. Oh man, I also just remember stage guy. You know, like yeah. I'm sure that's why they went to him. Yeah. Also, ahead. I was just say also <laughs> Jessup is maybe like the most disgusting person. There's like the wild out of left field anti-Semitic remark that happens yes. at the end of the yes. movie. Thank We're you for bringing that up. What is Lieutenant that's supposed Weinberg. to be anti-Semitic, right? And oh, you, yeah, Lime like, Weinberg. That's like Kevin. What Pollack's is that? Like, whoa, whoa! Where's that come from? Why does he single him out in that moment? Yeah. It's like, oh so my gosh, I mean, he hates I, Jews, obviously. Yeah, yeah I guess, I think right? We know yeah. Why. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it Holy is well. But like Kevin Pollak is so good, and so and honestly, like good chemistry with Tom Cruise. So I'm just saying, like the broiness is great. He really lives in this world of of like buddies. Mm-hmm. Best friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, by the way, best friend in in Jerry Maguire, Ray. Just just gonna say, yeah. But I, I do think that there's there's a bunch of moments, the camaraderie that you're talking about, this kind of brotherly back and forth that they have. Um, I love the scene when when Ken Pollock's pushing his daughter in the in the stroller and said, saying, you know, she said, she said, yeah. she said pa, look, a mailbox. I mean, that's just great. <laughs> um, FYI, I say it all the time now because all of our son says his mama, but he says mama to the dog, the floor, the ball. <laughs> The fridge, the the world. He just wants your just attention. Wind. Yeah. He just literally everything it. else, ex- and then he looks at you and it's silence. Silence. <laughs> but I I do think that they have a really great thing. The back and forth that they have in Joe's office at the beginning, where he's like, "That's Guantanamo Bay." I knew that one. Like that yeah. stuff is Incredible. great. Um, he even later tells him that it's four o'clock when he says yes. uh, six oh six something, just which is great. Uh, the the other thing that I just wanted to mention because you mentioned the Robert Richardson thing earlier, um, it's not the most Robert Richardson-y <laughs> shot at all. Movie, That's why, why but, I'm blown away by it. But you do have the scene with Danny, Joe, and Jack after the basketball game with that hot lighting Ooh, where you yeah, get the overhead, yeah, Richard, yeah, Richard, which obviously is and then in Kevin West Bacon Wing. is so sweaty in that moment he's too. Fair. You just glistens in that light. <laughs> But he's again Kevin Bacon, who's amazing in this in this film as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's and then there's that great sort of, as you mentioned, the the uh, the fight with Joe, where he basically wants to plea deal and wants to get the fuck out of it. And he, so Tom Cruise yells a lot in this movie, but he he's a good yeller. Like, and I do think they weaponize it really well in this. Um, but it does make me think mm-hmm. about what I read that he apparently modeled 
modeled this character <laughs> after uh, David Miscavige, the the uh, president no. of the Church of Scientology. So I don't know what that says about him uh, or oh, the role no. of, of Danny. Uh, but <laughs> yes, I'm obviously the most virtuous person anyone <laughs> yeah. knows. Well, when you think of. Mm. Am I going to do the right thing? I do think you <laughs> yeah. often yeah. think of him. I think Scientology. Yeah, I think that's but maybe yeah. he. Maybe it's just that he shouts a lot. Then I guess you know. But I know what you're talking about. They don't tell me what I know and don't know. I know, I the, know law. the law. It's, yeah. it's he just he can yell in a way in the and I I would argue like Tom Cruise is pretty sparing in his intensity in his yes. films when he does it he does it he does it a lot in this movie like it seems really off the chain a lot in this movie. Uh, yeah. I forgot how much he yells. You're a lousy he's... fucking softball player, Jack. <laughs> oh. When he yells at Joe when he's drunk, it's brutal. Do we or do we not take advice from the galactically stupid? I've repeated that a few times in my life, and I don't think anyone knows that that line is a line from A Few Good Men. Also, who are you saying that to? It's really mean. It's It's heated at work sometimes. Um, Um, There's also a lot of bit players in this that obviously have huge careers coming out of it. You've got Cuba Gooding Jr. who has one C, Noah Wiley, who obviously goes on to ER. I haven't talked about Kiefer at all. Kiefer's terrifying in this movie like he, i mean really scary. where is it's where, a really is, interesting choice for him because he he was a bigger star yeah. at this point in time than he was that, post flatliners that i mean i was he's gonna say what is, yeah. What, yeah. but what's a time to kill in this when did this a time to years, kill come that out? was a few years later 95 because we hadn't even made the firm yet which means the uh, yeah. pelican brief was just a glimmer yeah. in denzel washington's eye you know like i mean so because we haven't even gotten to the to, the pelican brief is a great movie i, I literally yes. there's not enough time in the world for me to talk about <laughs> my love for that film can we it just is... talk about i posted this and i believe you might have responded to it on twitter liz <laughs> if it was, was about pelican it, brief i absolutely it was about did. the pelican brief the moment when uh when julie roberts boyfriend's car explodes and she's yes. thrown yes. in slow motion like it's it is Darbyshaw, you take my breath away by the way okay. her boyfriend yeah. who's played by also Except truly Shepherd. one of the hottest men to ever exist in humanity sam shepherd like has similar i mean uh, emily's hot. nodding in agreement hot. yes Hold on. Uh, Between uh, him and older Jack Nicholson, I'm, I'm starting to sense like a bit yeah, of a, it's just a, a, a And I'm not in that category. So <laughs> what I'm saying. We got we got we got a quorum. Libby says yes. Sam oh, Shepard. Okay, yes. Cool. Hmm. I, I by the way, like icon in the hot museum. Like he's, he greets you. His yeah. his his statue greets you as you walk in. Also, like <laughs> Jessica Lang, come on. All timer. Sure. sure. Um, yeah. but really yeah. lost any train of thought once i started well, the wait, pelican actually, brief. I, but so literally well, all i can wait, but, see is pelican but, brief now That's it. but going back to Kiefer, yes, yes, uh, yes like it feels a little bit like you know what the apocryphal story about kevin bacon and like the years around this movie were that he had had so many movies that he was the lead of you know she's having a baby like whatever quicksilver none of them tremors. worked oh i mean tremors works <laughs> but none of them none of them were hits and so he was like, I'm going to start taking smaller roles in like in better movies or bigger ones. Yeah. So JFK yeah. and this and like Apollo 13. Yeah. And it feels like that's the same choice that Kiefer made in this. But we just didn't develop a six degrees of Kiefer Sutherland game around it, which is yeah. just too bad for Kiefer. Well, but Kiefer also, I mean, he had real Kiefer stardom. Kiefer also at a in point. the middle of this got left at the fucking altar. Oh, altar. That's true. By Julia Roberts for Jason Patrick. Yeah. Like, where's that is a limited series friend, about that? His friend, Jason loves. Patrick. They if, were friends. If, yeah. He was like the best man. Like, if this happened today, Dumas would oh melt God. down. There would just, just be like, there's up. no more Dumas. Yeah. We're done. Yeah. Our this entire is... pop culture would have shut down entirely. Yes. 
It's wild. But I, um, I do. I, I, I want to just for a quick second here. Um, Christopher Guest is in this movie. He's great. He's great. Yeah. He's uh, great. But uh, it blew my mind to really grapple with him as yeah. a serious. He seems really, really mean. one of one of the creepiest physicians well, ever to and, be in at, in feature films. And at the end of the film, you know, there's a great moment between between Kevin Bacon and and Caffey where he's like, "It's like I gotta go arrest. Uh, uh, I'm gonna go arrest Kendrick." Kendrick. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, "Tell him I said hi." He's like, "Isn't he also gonna go arrest, arrest Christopher Guest?" <laughs> <laughs> he like was boldly lied also about this the poison the poison stuff. Yeah, yeah. So like, he, or is he just a bad doctor? I don't know that he lied. Just, I think he's, I think like he's a just a really doctor. bad I doctor. A, yeah. I don't know. He glares, he seems, at but he also Poppy seemed like really he was in like cahoots with Jessa. Am I? Yes. You know, I didn't see like, the scene of that at the top of the movie, so I well, disagree. I think in that moment where Tom Cruise is 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 really yelling at the end, where he's like, and then you, when it went bad, you cut these guys loose, and you order Markinson to doctor the books. He's about to say something, which I think is, and you pressured the doctor. Yeah. And that's when the judge goes like, you're out of order. And he's like, you don't have to answer a question. Like, I think that's what he was about to say. And then he gets like, that's possible. We'll we'll have to ask Aaron Sorkin that question at some point. But, but I do feel like Christopher Guest, it's the funniest thing because I've watched this film a million times as a kid and I would see him and I would be like, why do I know this person? Like I could (laughs) not. And then I remember I had this like lightning bolt moment when I realized he was a six fingered man because this is all obviously. Oh, yeah. It's so wild. Chris yeah. I mean, I, I probably should have put together this is final tap, but that's whatever. But it's just like there is something between this doctor and the six fingered man. It's tapping into a similar vibe for Christopher Guest, which is kind of amazing. I mean, his character in Best in Show, who just names nuts for like 12 minutes, <laughs> is so fucking iconic. I do it every now and then where I'm like, peanut. Whatever it is, like it's so fucking it's fantastic. funny. Um, the one of the lines that I love, speaking of Kevin Bacon earlier, is um, when he turns when they meet up mid movie, and Markinson has come back into the picture, and they get a beer, and Tom Cruise is super mm-hmm. cocky because now he has Markinson and he thinks he's won the whole thing, and realizes that he actually doesn't have control over this case at all. And Jack says, "You got bullied into that courtroom by the memory of a dead lawyer." Is yeah. a great line. And again, comes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is like Sorkin in one line can kind of sum up the whole movie for you or mm-hmm. episode of television yeah. or whatever it is. It's 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 pretty stellar stuff. Yeah, it's a little bit like he's he's a musician, I feel like Sorkin, and yeah. he doesn't ever lose the melody in his scripts. You know, he always keeps coming back and he plays those chords. Well, okay, maybe he does. Well, let me put it, let me put it this way. In this film. He doesn't like this I'll one. Give is you, really, I'll give you that. This yeah. one's really tight. Every so often, we continue to remind everybody about his dad, but we never see a picture of Lionel Caffey. Mm-hmm. We just, you know, hear stories. It doesn't actually weigh that heavily on the film, so that it all sets up that moment where where Caffey then, you know, after he yells at Joe and he's soaking wet and drunk, and then he's yeah. just says to Weinberg, right? He's like, you know, he's like. Was your, would your dad I don't be think that's you? his last name, honey. I think that's the anti-Semitic yeah. choice. It was yeah, Sam Weinberg. Oh, okay. Sam Weinberg. Yeah. Okay. Sam Weinberg. Okay. I'm impressed in his anti-Semitism like that, that he also that got a He hates you so much he makes up you Jewish names. All, <laughs> you all know this movie like it's the Bible, and I'm going out of my mind. <laughs> I'm sorry, Emily. I've watched I, I was, it a lot. So Emily did, I, I just want to say, Emily texted me as she was re-watching this film the other day, and she had some hot takes and 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 didn't love the film oh. as much as as perhaps the three of us do sure. and i was just like is there oh, anyone boy. who loves this film that much i'm not <laughs> no, sure no. emily's walking into a thrasher yeah. 
I find all criticisms of this film valid. I, I just, I just don't feel them. Myself. I feel, yeah, I, I like, I, I, I love the Avatar movies, and every time somebody says something about Avatar, where they're like, that doesn't work, I'm like, you are absolutely correct. However, five out of five stars. I am Navi. <laughs> um, no, like, like I, I, I was, I, I do want to just, uh, just to close off that last point. I love that Aaron Sorkin transitioned smoothly from having dad issues to having daughter issues. He just like kind of just like made that yep. shift. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about this earlier when we talked about Aaron Sorkin, which is that, and I, I, I hate to apply like the auteur theory to writers, but like I suppose you could do that with him as much as anybody else. And like I don't know him personally. But he does have a persona and it's a little bit larger than life. It really feels like he writes himself into these movies, each of these lead characters, you know, like I'm sure he's heard the criticism a bunch of times that he doesn't write enough female characters, but ultimately either he won't or can't not just do what he, I guess, feels that he does best, which is just write himself. So like Kathy would be this mid 20 something, you know, kind of go getter guy. And then like, you're right. By the time we get to Steve Jobs, now he's 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 still kind of a force of prickish nature sure, sure. right but now he's the dad and now it's the daughter issues you know like every single whether it's even like mark zuckerberg you know or mm-hmm. sam seaborn and then it kind of becomes uh bradley whitford like over the course of the first season of West literally Day, never right? sam seaborn always bradley whitford literally. And, and, and always, he was always just obviously studio 60 <laughs> where he is literally the two characters split Great. into one but i, yeah. I, I i'll say this though works. you know I, I i do love the the post drunk rain conversation obviously the monologue that he gives i also kind of love that tom cruise does a little bit of like a jewish thing at one point it's like he's making an argument he's making like there's a little bit of this like yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> which i think is 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 cute I think that it's a great scene. He sobers up real quick um, really because quick. he's behind he's the driving, wheel. He's driving the car in a torrential downpour. We asked for like the rain machines and we got every single one. It's just incredible. But, it is a I, yeah. wild choice that he is <laughs> yeah. driving that vehicle. But also like legitimately, I wonder every time I see that scene. You're a man of the does, law, sir. How far does Joe make it? Like there's a, there's a, there's yeah. a version of that scene where we're just with her the whole time and she's yeah. absolutely soaking wet. Soaked. Yeah. Where was she going? Did she didn't drive? I guess she was walking for quite a while because the speech is at least two minutes, three minutes. And I'll say this: the, perhaps the weirdest cut in the film is the moment when he says, "I'm going to put Jessup on the stand." She turns, music swells, goes to black. Weird. It's like there's. I don't. It's weird, but yeah, it is what it is. I wonder it feels, if there was it's more very there. Nineties. It does. Yeah. It um, is. So I I want to talk about the the. Uh, obviously the big sort of fireworks scene at the end of the movie it's it's obviously Kathy versus Jessup um the reason that I would argue that this might be the most one of the most quintessential Sorkin scenes ever is because it's about trapping someone in their words which I imagine Mm -hmm. is what Aaron Sorkin loves maybe more than anything so it's just him kind of leaving the breadcrumbs for Jessup to literally walk off a cliff um and and it's it's done really really well it's done obviously very smartly um and the moment when Jessup realizes how fucked he is by admitting that they would have to listen to what he said so if he said this then there's no reason why he would be in danger um it's pretty fucking immaculate like it's just it's really well written there's yeah. a, um, like there's a, a level of perfection and um and like ease that comes out of that that is so hard to do like that yeah. that it to be able to write that 
and the amount of cleverness I think that's in those the use of those words and I think like truly like the spare nature of it if there's not a wasted word in that entire scene um I would also say the blocking I think is really fantastic like oh. I, I think there's really smart smart choices but he makes and this is the thing I think about Sorkin a lot not so much in his later work because I think it it's a little flashier and I and I don't mean that as negative, but like in social network, I'm I feel like I'm watching somebody at the height of his powers. Like I feel like I just like th- we are singing, and he is showing me how smart and clever he is, and he's also dropping a couple things that he's used in other shows, but it's totally fine. But like it's all yeah, I just I didn't know that he repeated himself. It's <laughs> that I can uh, I can take it and make it into my ping pong room. I can buy it and make it my ping pong room. Has been used in a few different uh, mm-hmm. television shows, mm-hmm. including Studio Sixty. Um, the but I, I, the aforementioned CG60, but like, I think <laughs> seeing that is like Sirkin turned up to 12, mm-hmm. but it all sort of starts in that scene. Like who Sorkin becomes as a writer, as I think we have come to know him, begins in that moment. And like, I think well, there's lots of other pieces throughout the movie that are feel very iconic to Sorkin. We've mentioned them all, but that one scene that's like, by the way, bless, let a writer do like a 17 page scene with two people talking mm-hmm. here for it. Um, because if you can write it that well, like, and that captivating, it is, it is a war scene. Like you're watching a battle unfold and it's two people using their words. How more fucking nerdy could I sound? But like, it's, it's just a pleasure to watch. Absolutely. Well, and, Absolutely. and for me, like that's, we've talked about the writing and the directing there, but I would like to circle back to Tom. Like I, I think he's terrific as we always uh, do all the time. But he's certainly great in in several movies. But I, I dare say, I feel like that scene, mm-hmm. it is probably his finest hour. Like mm-hmm. as as an actor, like he's really tremendous. And I know obviously Jack Nicholson gets all the attention, and and he was no one who's nominated right for a kind of award for supporting actor for the role. But like it's a little bit how like how I feel about Rain Man. That like it's yes, like Dustin Hoffman is terrific. It's a very big short sure. performance, but Tom Cruise is the one who holds that movie together. And I just wish that we appreciated that that that's a skill also to be that kind of a star, that protagonist. Mm-hmm. And he is so good in this court, final courtroom scene. He he owns it. Like I wouldn't, I, I couldn't imagine anyone else in the role ever again. Like, well, are we going to have to do podcasts like it's Tom Cruise and just I go mean, through <laughs> the um, Cruise intro? I'll, I'll I'll say this. Two things came to mind. The, the first was um, it made me think of the speech that uh, that Sam gives him, where he says, "I wish you could have seen yourself thundering away at Kendrick." Oh. Like there's there's something about even like Sam. <laughs> That's the speech. Liz's Liz's face at the noise that her husband just made at. Zemir's and if I were Dawson Downey and I had a choice between you or your father to represent me in this case, I would choose you any day of the weekend, twice on Sunday. Twice on Sunday. Uh, you should have yeah, seen yourself thunder away at Kendrick. It's <laughs> amazing. Would you put Jessup on the stand? I, no. You think my father would have? With the evidence incredible. we have? Not in a million oh years. Okay. It's so good. It's beautiful. Right. It's a beautiful You know thing. the rest, honey. No, don't no, pretend no. like you don't. I, I do. I just, you know how I know it? Because that speech gets said in my house literally once I'm like washing bottles and like I'm just repeating the scene to myself. That's it. It's <laughs> like, a tremendous scene. But it's also, I mean, listen, There, there is the way, what I was sort of getting at more than anything is the fact that Sam is seeing him the way we are seeing yes. him. And I think that that's, you know, obviously good writing, great character work. Um, so at the end of this film, what I like is that 
is the bittersweet ending. The idea that we get a happy ending that they win the trial, but they're but Dawson and Downey are still kicked out for for dishonorably they're dishonorably discharged for conduct unbecoming, mm-hmm. um, which means that they can't do the one thing that they thought they were put on this earth to do, and that gives them you know um, uh, whatever. I, I think that um, I appreciate that it doesn't have a pat ending. I appreciate that it does sort of try to find some sort of a, as as many episodes. I'm sorry. Of a, yeah. Yes. There's an officer on deck. Come on, we got it. Oh. There's a, a pat ending. There is a, a pat ending. Sorry, I, you, there absolutely yeah. is a pat ending. I, I guess what I mean is that no, in the it's a great moment. Mechanics yeah. of it that they try to find a way to sort of have their cake needed too, which I appreciate. Um, right. But to your point, Liz. Um, there is some big swelling score going on at the end of Woo! this movie. Like it's Bad crazy. Score. Bad Top score. score. Yeah, Top the score, score is probably is the most dated aspect of Correct. the film problem. Very synthy and very yeah. stringy. Yes. I, I actually think like the end mm. is like maybe the worst 30 seconds of the film. Mm. Just like with that big wide, like it's, first of all, calm okay. down. I wish people could see Brian's face right now. <laughs> Melting oh, down. down. I'm, I'm devastated. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> It's but like, like come on. there's the so many worse parts. The music is tough. The, the wide shot is weird. We just sure, get the it's officer. To be, it's, like, it's like Capra-esque. It's like we're we're well, harking back I, to this like classic. I kind of want to agree with Brian just a little bit here, which is that the font and the the kind of canted high Someone angle and the big. So it's kind of. <laughs> I forgot the font. the font. It's so it's like, bad. It's, I know, but it's intentionally throwbacky. <laughs> that's that's what I, I agree with you. But it doesn't I have think to it be. Is. It's just well, it's a think, little not in keeping with the preceding with, yeah, two hours. Of I agree. Movie. Well, yeah. it's the one moment like we were talking about that Rob Reiner enters the frame <laughs> and, and it's like, I'm going to tell you what to think. And he's like, this was like a throwback to like, we don't make him like we used to anymore. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We, the movie's all kind of waiting it. for Bugs Bunny to like jump <laughs> out of the middle. The end. And they were all happily ever after. I think this should have ended with Demi Moore giving Tom Cruise her number. I think that would have been a better... Closing. I still am just so confused by the logic. They I don't are understand where that would have happened either. In a legal case for months. You're telling think, me he doesn't have to, her to fucking be clear, digits? I think, I don't know if it was her number so much as she asks him out. And I believe the last line of the script was, but wear matching socks, which is like a, a callback call to, earlier. to the earlier joke, which again, that, super that cheese. But do you think they shot that and just cut it out? Like, I don't think they shot because there's a wonderful. I love the very. I I love the last thirty seconds of this movie because I think there's an economy of of writing there. Like, we don't leave the courtroom. Everything you know, we we get Uh you know Dawson and Downey. This is where all the above the line budget sucked away the last day. And then, but we very quickly in order have have all the moments that we need to like in like seriously probably like a page and a half, and then the movie's over. There easily could we could have wound up going off somewhere and Kathy gets a commendation and whatever. But like we're like, fuck that. We're just like we just go straight for it. You know, there's the moment where he's like, You don't have to have honor to you don't have to wear a patch in your arm to have honor. Yeah. And then he salutes him finally. Then it's a lit- Joe, Galloway and him don't even have a line together. She just kind of looks at him and she's like, I saw that moment and I liked it. <laughs> And I respect it. And I she just walks out I and she's leaves as the hard movie. for this as you do, Brian. But I love how much you love it and that you're willing to make excuses yeah. for it. I think. And then he and Kevin Bacon kind of like think have that a Brian is joining the military after this. Like yeah, I'm this pretty convinced. This is wonderful. This is, yeah. And he's yeah. like, I will change it from within. This is my purpose. I do think that. I mean, listen. It's 
the the I do like the kind of matchy matchiness of earlier in the film where he's like, oh, this is what the inside of a courtroom looks like. Again, right. it's a it's a cute joke. I I do think that if they had dialed back the score just a little bit, if they yeah. hadn't picked a super crazy font for the, the end, I think you might have been able to get away with all this stuff. But I think they, and it should also be said too, like as we said, this movie made almost three hundred million dollars at the time. Like this is the shit that people eat up with a spoon. Like I don't, I don't yeah. mean to suggest that it didn't work. It obviously does. Um, but yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty crazy. Well, and especially because it I actually anymore, think though, like no yeah. one would go see this. I mean, I, this just wouldn't. This movie wouldn't exist now the way it does. Like I think this is like a limited series now that has. <sighs> Too too many episodes. That's crushing. Six hour version of this would be terrible. I will bet you that like the first ten minutes and maybe the last two are the difference between this movie getting four more Oscar nominations and what it gets. I think those are the those are the easiest parts to criticize, and it's what they leave you with. And I think that's often just like yeah, you know. um, I agree. uh, I saw I saw Babylon yesterday, which has a truly inexplicable ending, and like I had enjoyed it. I mean, yeah, there's 16 of them, and I liked all of them until the last (laughs) one. But um, like, yeah, I I don't know. Uh, It is. uh, I agree with what you're saying, though, Emily. That like they often say, you know, how you leave the theater. Right. Like that's that's what stays with you. Obviously, not even so much an ending, but just like a vibe. And I think that the vibe of this is just a little too much, a little too saccharine. It's a little too corny. Mm. Yeah. 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 I think corny is the right word. Um, Which it was interesting because like I I I like I like Reiner corniness. I like Tom Cruise corniness. Oh. Was that a I think I think our dog agrees with me. (laughs) (laughs) Um but I think there's like a level of like too muchness yeah. in this, so it's yeah. like one too many corn balls totally. were involved yeah. in that last decision making, including potentially my husband. And <laughs> I think it's you know that's, that's know. where we Listen, at. I'm with you guys on the score there at the end, especially because yeah. I it, it stands out in the movie every time it comes up, right? Because it's so synth heavy and and kind of you know leaden. But there's actually an economy of score in the film. Like they don't like the That's true. that entire courtroom finale. Like I was, you kind of watch it. You're like, oh no, it's going to happen, isn't it? And it never does. Like there's no score in any of that sequence at all. And then there's a, it's really just used for transitions a lot of times in the movie. And I, in a couple, I do couple of bad pinpo- instances. I want to pinpoint I, one yeah. music cue though, real quick that yeah. I laugh at every time I watch the movie, which is when he sees Santiago's suits. And it goes as he, like yeah. pay attention to the suits. Yeah, <laughs> I also I didn't realize That's it's true. Mark Shaman who like it's uh, unsurprising uh, actually that we all are having this. I mean, he's a Broadway composer. Like he, he yeah. did yeah. he big big old scores there. Yeah. So it's actually like not that shocking. It, it's very strange to me because like <laughs> all the presidents men, I think. Like when you're talking about courtroom dramas, which I know that's not a courtroom drama, it's a paper chase, but it's sort of in this oeuvre of like legal thriller. Like this, there's a real sparseness to that score. And there's a real deft hand in in most of Pakula's work, including the Pelican Brief. See how I did that? And Seamless. having the and, and and when we made the post, like yeah. One of the most, one of my most favorite parts of that movie, and one of I think the best parts of that movie is the score. I think it's like a John Williams ten out of ten. It's so out of like out of kind of left field of what he'd done, but 
it was very also sparse and like very um thoughtfully used in in intentional places this is just like hang on hold my beer let's just throw it all the fuck over there and (laughs) see where it sticks like it's Uh just painting all over the place so as we uh wrap up i did want to ask you guys oh yeah Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Bill, yeah. we are not yeah. wrapping up. Okay, okay. <laughs> no, no we, it's, we've been talking for almost two hours. We have been. I just want to speak for the people who haven't seen this movie a billion times, <laughs> who maybe watched it once when they were 13 and thought it was the best movie ever made and then saw it again yesterday and were like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> like, I was, so I watched this with my wife and she was like, quoting so many lines and like laughing along with something it was a movie she had seen a billion like i'm not going to sit here and say this is a bad movie i think it's a very good movie i also think it's a bad movie like i mean uh i I don't know i think there is a thing where i can get with sorkin's fetishization of american democracy in america when we're talking about like the white house when we're talking Mm -hmm. about something like that his sort of fundamental belief that what we need is just good people at the top or snl yeah makes a certain degree (laughs) of sense when you're talking about you know the president or the head writers for i just i in the year same level of responsibility yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) Uh, or you know the showrunner of a a a, a cable sports show um i can't get there when it's the american military in the year 2023 i just cannot there's just so much systemic stuff i just fundamentally don't buy that you can't handle the truth scene on some just core level it's it's probably political but i just you know watching it i was like this is an extremely powerful scene and i kind of think to to borrow a line from from william goldman i kind of think it's hollywood horse shit i kind of think it is like just a scene that is coasting on do you think understand- Colin Powell never had that scene are you no. out of your mind yeah 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 <laughs> no I like I think things like that happen I just sort of don't buy the turn that yeah. Jesser takes and some of that's because he hasn't been as developed as a character because they only had Jack mm-hmm. Nicholson for a few days and like I you know I understand all of that I just yeah I mean a lot of my a lot of the actual like real criticisms i have are like the score is a little bad that last font is because brian ran into the room while they were doing after effects and was like no this is the font you want like i i so i'm not gonna sit here and like like say that the people who who really ride for this movie are wrong and like i would you know i'd give it four out of five stars i think it's a compulsively watchable incredibly entertaining movie that has a lot of sorkin's ticks but not as many as you know we've seen him come to have I just, I fundamentally think there's just something in this that me living in 2023 can't look at the American military and say, you know what, that's, it's, it's a little bit like propaganda in that regard, just Mm. in the sense of like, Mm -hmm. we're watching a story about this institution that has done so much damage in the world since this movie came out. And I'm not you know, and before this movie came out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah absolutely. But like, you know, yeah. even in, even in that time and like, if there's a movie that's like like talking about an institution, I always kind of, you know, want it to have a sense of the scale of the wrong that institution can can do. And I think I don't know. 
I, I think this movie kind of doesn't get there and that's fine. I don't want to hold a 19 against a 1992 movie like the war in Iraq or something, but it is very much a movie where I, I constantly was dealing with that dissonance. And I feel like the movie is not that anti-military. It is anti-Jessup. It is anti-characters. You're hundred percent right. And I, I, to me that just, I just, I just couldn't get there in that way. And I think it is the chief failing of Aaron Sorkin is he just really does believe that institutions can be fixed by putting the right people in them. And I, that mm-hmm. often works and is, is great. And I, to hear to me, is just like a bridge too far. And that is the Emily That's thinks fair. this movie is, is, is just okay. Quarter. <laughs> I think, I, I think that's yeah. fair. I, yeah. I was going to say like, I don't think there's any way to argue with that. I think that the mm-hmm. idea that this would ever happen in reality is so what, like this would never happen to a five, four star general, whatever the fuck he is. Yeah. It, it just would never happen. I, also, I just want to shout out. He works at fucking Guantanamo Bay. Like yeah. we're, yeah. that is like the place we're talking about in this film that casually gets thrown around a lot that I think is a real tough 2023 look yeah. back. There's also um, a very Cold War era attitude toward well, Cuba's the bad guys and we're yeah. the good guys. And I don't know how critical this movie is of that attitude. I would argue no, not, not at all. all. But, but I also think all. like I I completely hear you and I think you're totally valid and avatars are great. You know, I also like, it's like one of Thank those you. things that's like, you're welcome. Although there is a, a wild subtitle in that film that brian and i laughed out loud during oh. the the screening of, oh, a, of in, it. in the way of water yes in, yes um if you haven't seen avatar 2 Please. spoiler alert for the next yeah. five seconds it's when we get the first subtitle from a whale yeah. and i was like yeah I saw and that. he goes he goes the it's kid, the kid finally to talk talks to the it. yeah. it's incredible <laughs> oh wow it comes right, out of nowhere Wait, i just saw sub- that movie with phil and that happened and i did this i clasped my hands in front of my heart and was like the whale is my baby now (laughs) can i also just say though that this movie's history with subtitles in the sense that early in the movie he's like he basically just he just yada yada is it away and says oh yeah no it sounds like english to me now so don't worry about subtitles there's a navi word for cuz it's great (laughs) <laughs> well, and the thing the thing that threw me about that subtitle thing was that then later on, there are people who I don't think would be speaking the same Navi language right, or would actually correct. still be speaking English, maybe like like uh, the guys, yeah, the, no, no, the water the people movie. and the and the the air people shouldn't be speaking the same Navi. So and like all of the military guys, like they're not all super fluent. It's so great. it's like there's it's it, we just kind of like I mean, wave it away. No notes. Perfect. Five out of five. No, no sure. notes. Yeah. <laughs> no notes. Um, sorry, but I say, sorry to get. Go ahead. Uh, no, okay. So end of Avatar two yeah, spoiler. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think, I, I think you're, it's totally valid. I think it's mm-hmm. interesting. Like we were talking about this before, of like looking at this film from the scope of of what's happening in American politics now. Sure. And I, I think, looking at Sorkin of like this sort of boomer generation, like he's just on the tail end of that. Of believe, like you know, we're talking about Kennedy. We're talking about. We're talking about all the Kennedys. We're talking about Martin Luther King Jr. We're talking about this era of American politics that actually firmly believed you could change the institution from within. Like that, that was like what we were preached as children. We, not we, but Mm. the people who were alive then. And I think that like really does affect his work in a, in a way that is sort of interesting in, in, when looking at it in parallel sort of with American 
politics and pop culture and how he is commenting on it, which I don't think he actually does a heavy commentary for as political as a writer as he is. Like his commentary is the Democrats, <clears throat> Democrats are great. And that we really need a nerd to be the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. That's his basic commentary. And like, can't argue with it. It's great. I agree. Um, but I think there's there's something interesting that like, because he made the show about the White House, people believe him to be inherently political. And because he's outspoken and things like that, he's liberal. But like, he's not that outspoken and he's not that like, there are there are vastly more political filmmakers than he is, and more liberal yeah. filmmakers, by the way, and more liberal filmmakers <laughs> than he is. Yeah. And I think that it's it's interesting that he is seen. I don't really have a point other than like he's interesting is seen as sort of like the liberal yeah. Ni- yeah. writer. Well, I don't know if that's in like I mean he is, but I don't know if that's incredibly like all encompassing to who is he is as a screenwriter. I think well, that's I feel also, like what he is. Oh, sorry. I think that's also become. A black mark against him you know you look at like like the the kids coming up today that you know um we're all millennials here but phil um the uh <laughs> you were technically gen x phil i'm sorry i have to say it um but i would love to be gen x just if I or he's an xennial i'm just saying maybe there's another generation there we go. Exists. it doesn't exist gen- you're a millennial the Gen Z kids who watch Sorkin are like, LOL, grandpa. And like, it is very much like, I feel like Sorkin is the most liberal is like this thing that is said in 1999 that mm-hmm. now is like, LOL, Sorkin is the most liberal. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it's like a fucking Jonathan Chait column, you know, it just is like, it, it, <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I feel like what he is, is idealistic sure. and, and Naive. that can be confused. Yeah. I mean, and, and but he'll that there's only kind of surface level a lot of times. And so like this movie is a really good example. He's for all of its criticism of the code red and everything else, you know, like that, that's not really a controversial to say code reds are, are a problem. He's actually it's very idealistic about the military and it has actually kind of nothing much to say about it beyond that, that like it should be full of like, you know, good people and honor and like there's a way to like to do it all to like protect people and be a good person it doesn't really have doesn't say that's not saying anything and so you're right like this is something that it's hard to be idealistic about if maybe you don't have to be cynical but you should be at least realistic about it and it feels like he wasn't and like there's there's something there's a there's something about the military that this movie could have said and it wouldn't have really changed much of the film but it, it decides not to go there you know? it, does, the other... it does feel like the kind of the watershed moment for Sorkin, I think, in a lot of ways was the newsroom. Um, and I, I think because that really showed his kind of rose colored glasses, the world can all be fine if we just stop being jerks to one another. And and I mean, that's not you wrong. Mean it's just... We all shouldn't be on a mission to civilize. <laughs> I mean, I don't even really know what the newsroom was ultimately trying to say, if I'm being completely honest. I, I Okay, so... Emily, you're, you have a two-month-old, three-month-old. You're, you're, I'm sure, deep in the, like, what am I rewatching now? Because the, there's no sleep schedule. Um, I rewatched basically all of Aaron Sorkin's work <laughs> during oh, wow. the course of okay. um, I, we rewatched all of Aaron Sorkin's work <laughs> during the first, like, four months of our child's life. And including the newsroom, which was, like, is a really wild rewatch. <laughs> and would, I think, just just also does not hold up to a weekly schedule. Like it kind of was released in in a weird cuspy era of streaming and not streaming. Like it was 
Mad Men was kind of the last network show that was Mad Men, Breaking Bad, and then like House of Cards. It sort of like straddled this line. And I I think that weekly nature of it actually is quite detrimental to the um, process of watching it because it in watching it weekly it just really feels like a fucking news show and you're like like this is news that happened four years ago man which I also think is wildly problematic that he did the first season is about actual news uh, is 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 and I have a big old problem with it being about Osama bin Laden like there's just I think a lot that is problematic in it. But what's really interesting in watching it is like a binging and streaming is that once again, it is sort of this veil of of the audience that it's about liberals trying to like civilize the news. And it's really just like about a fucked up dude who's in love with a woman who may or may not love him. Like that's really what it is. And if you watch it through that lens, it's like, oh, this actually is a pretty enjoyable show. Like Emily Mortimer's great. Jeff Daniels is dope. They have the Rudy moment. Like there's tons of Sorkin shit in there that I'm like, this is great. And and like JGJ, I ride ride hard for a John Gallagher Jr. I'll watch you. Sure. Like there's so much in it that's good. There's so much in it that's problematic. But like there's something that like once we all shifted into this, everything Sirkin does is political and that he bought into it and did like, I'm justifying the newsroom. It lost the, mm-hmm. I think like inherent beauty of Sorkin, which is American president sure is about a president. It's a rom- romantic comedy. It's about like, can the president date and be the president it really is not political. Actually, Michael J. Fox is like the most political role in that film. You know, I think there's, a ton of really interesting st- i mean the west wing in many many ways is not a political show it is an office drama mm-hmm. that they take place there that takes place at the white house i i do think though there's something quaint about the newsroom's villain being the tea party <laughs> there's something <laughs> nice about the days when that was uh the thing that we had to be had to be yes. w- weary of the most um i i do have a question uh because i'd be remiss if i didn't ask this as we wrap up before we do our ratings of this film although i think the three of us are probably uh probably kinder to this movie's rating than emily will be um i have to ask as tommy fans favorite tom cruise performance I also just <laughs> went like down a deep. First... I I heard Tommy and I went down Tommy Schlamy, which was like a really weird brain <laughs> oh. track to go down. Or the Who's so, Tommy? Uh, yeah, I was like, like <laughs> the, my favorite single return? performance of the Who's Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, Old Globe, uh, uh, Old Globe Theater. Uh, who's Tommy? Old Globe or the Old Globe Theater down in San Diego? Uh, <laughs> it was, I think it was like January '92. Sorry, go ahead. Incredible. Um, I, I'll go first and give you guys an opportunity to to think of of yours for a second. Um, mine might. I honestly think it's Interview with the Vampire. I, I know <gasps> that that's an oh. <laughs> 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 so Brian's face just lit up like a kid on Christmas. And that was my number two. <laughs> uh, my number one would probably be Interview with the Vampire, just because I think it's the last time he did something kind of. First of all, like speaking of like uh, his sexual, you know, what have you, I actually think he's got pretty great chemistry with Brad Pitt in that movie. Uh, take from that what what you will. Um, I also just like him in a villain role i think like lestat's such a complex interesting character he's chewing the scenery he's just Do you like, want to marry my husband i just like <laughs> we might have to trade because you're I hitting know. home runs I, 
I thought no one loved that movie more than me, and I may be wrong. No, I I adore that movie. So yeah, that that might be my number one. It's it's that, or I mean the the I mean I guess I could say Jerry Maguire as well, but the, ultimately I'm going to say Interview with Vampire. What, what's yours, Liz? I mean, you know, your um, excitement there really set me up to be thrilled about my pick. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it's to. It's cocktail. No, I <laughs> you know I. First of all, I would like to predict what I think my husband is going to do, which is he's oh. going to be like, I'm not going to be a homer and pick a few good men. I am going to put $100 and he's going to put Top Gun Maverick. I've, I am going to put my money down right now. Um, so <laughs> I, 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 it has to be Jerry yeah. Maguire for me. Like okay. there's, there's sort of like, I, I think it's great. Yeah. It's great. I also think like there, uh, I'm a Cameron Crowe stan. I like, you know, you talk almost famous, you talk Jerry Maguire, the two are like wildly sort of interchangeable for me in terms of which is a better movie. And and I frankly think like the older I get now having a kid, like I think Jerry Maguire probably laughs or, or, or latches onto that like top spot. But I just like Tommy in drunken screaming that he's cloaked in failure is one of the fucking funniest things he's ever done in his career. Drunk Tommy Mwah. chef's kiss out of this world get it bowie also never looked better amazing hair amazing hair um and like fine 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 kicking a bathroom trash can uh, is like it's just all timers all timers all around now i, I want to just uh, on your he looks good in that movie there's a moment in that i mean listen we're not we could do four hours on jerry mcguire but i'll just say that the moment when he's about to have sex with Renee Zellberger, she opens the door and he's like in this model pose and it's like he's laughing at himself and like understands all of like to me that's like a quintessential Tom Cruise actually kind of gets Tom Cruise. I think he knows he's a movie star like it feels very clearly that he knows he's Tom Cruise and knows he's the biggest movie star on the planet and he's making this movie like it just feels so right in so many ways. (laughs) Emily, you look like you had something to. I, add to I'm that. just gonna. I'm just gonna. Uh, my uh, my wife needs this room at two, which okay, is a we'll thing be, I be, never thought would happen. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I never. You know, I thought I would come in with my takes, and everyone would be like, "Well, you're right. The podcast is over. We cancel the show." <laughs> that, to be fair, that is that's how every one of these episodes has gone. Emily. Um, the uh, 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 I'm gonna say Magnolia, uh, <laughs> Jerry Maguire, Collateral are probably my top three. Okay, another right. his other great villain performance. Um, my wife is almost right. Oh, I, oh, looks, I know what you're gonna pick. Um, I think she does. And like, okay. listen, I'm not gonna pick this. I'm not gonna pick a few good men just because I think that's probably because he doesn't want to be a homer. Yeah. So I don't want to be a homer, but I do think that this is like Jerry Maguire. This kind of gives you all the flavors of Tom, and I also think it's the funniest he ever is in a movie. And it gives me also he shouts a lot. Like it gives me a lot of stuff. It gives me everything I want from a Tom Cruise film. Is it? I love him as Lestat. I think it's a real departure for him and is great. And I love him as older Pete Mitchell and Top Gun Maverick. Cause I think it might be, I'm trying to think, I think it's the only time he's ever made me cry. And I love Magnolia and I love him in it, but I cried twice in, in Top Gun Maverick and, and, and continues to every time it's on stars. I mean, I still I, do. I get a, I I still get a little do. choked up too. I mean, I, I cry know. a lot during movies, but, and as much as I love Tommy, I, I don't know if he ever made me cry until that, but I got to say, I think my favorite is Edge of Tomorrow. I think he's such a okay. wonderful, Good delightful coward in that movie. Great a lot of it owes to the editing and to the script, uh, you know, too. But yeah. he's so funny throughout that. And like, 
it's again it's one of these things where it's kind of a romance but without any like romantic tension really like or he kind of does it again I'm just like, thinking have... we we quote edge of tomorrow literally daily because there's a line in it where he like comes in and he gets the whole presentation of like what everything is yeah goes, they're, they're like they have the whole thing and they're like yeah. this is the alien brain and it's over here we're gonna find it and now you're inside the thing too he goes first off terrific presentation <laughs> terrific and it's so fucking funny and, and like his delivery is so good iconic like iconic yeah. it's a great pick it's a great pick i mean listen we, we could talk tom cruise all day we've talked about him for almost three hours on our magnolia episode so you know <laughs> it's not a surprise uh i do want to quickly do our ratings and then let uh emily's wife uh take over that room um back in the day i'm just gonna say like around 92 loved this movie loved this movie's kid watched this movie infinitely i probably would have given it a 95 back then like i really just didn't see any flaws in it now I see some of his flaws, but I'll be honest, it still doesn't really dampen my love for the film. But I'm at an 89. I still think it's like a great, great movie. And every time I watch it, I'm just like, this movie moves. It's so well paced. It just, anyway, I don't need to 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 talk about it. But uh, Emily, where are you on uh, on A Few Good Men? Uh, 90s queer phobia scale given in a two. The first F slur, vaguely defensible because it's coming from a terrible person. Sure. Uh, the second That's one, not defensible at all. Not. I can't I can't defend it. Not Literally, defensible not at all. all. Yeah. Yeah. Don't repeat um, it. What is he doing? The uh uh the uh as far as my act like when I saw this mm-hmm. in probably ninety-four or whatever, um I would have given it uh, a ninety-nine because I only gave movies a zero or a ninety-nine at that point in my life. <laughs> um I now looking at it, um objectively just very compulsively watchable, very well acted, very well directed, the script is very well structured. Um, I just couldn't get past some of my thematic issues with it. So I'm going to say 75. That's, oh, that's higher That's than fair. I actually yeah, thought it would be. Yeah, I agree. What about you, Liz? I mean, I love the idea of zero and 99 being the only options. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. This feels right to me. Yeah, yeah. It, this also fail. feels like how we can solve most All of the... Problems. the ranking issues in our world is just well, 099 you are get you sure you're nothing. you're not a 099 person because like you have an issue one issue with a movie and you will not Daddy. ever let it go the rest of the movie is completely gone because you're like yeah but that one line wasn't there the rest of the movie okay trash. still talking about top gun maverick by the way i just want to be clear that's what he's talking about there is one She's line right. missing from, there is one line missing from that film that does severely dampen my enjoyment of the film it doesn't I, it's not that I don't think it's good. I just think it could have been great. So okay. yes, yeah, I, I think it's for great, people but, okay. for people curious. It's the fact that what the fuck is his relationship with Miles Teller? No one tells me. Was he a was he a living dad? Was he uh, a like father figure? Was did he see him every other year? Like what is the relationship between these two? It does not require that much. And then I get it. And then I'm like, I, oh, Rooster. Also, the fact that we have all just become comfortable with the fact that miles teller's character's name is rooster it's just a thing that i think we should all become so you see his dad was a bird so he needed to be a bird i thought you were gonna say that the line that was missing is tom cruise should have said to jennifer Connolly, my real love is a plane because (laughs) he should have he should have. So what's your what's your oh my god Rooster. Rooster. that was also a Christmas gift right now. that I that's gave a beautiful that's a lovely gift. This is the one that's actually on my desk. Um, okay, so uh, I actually think zero ninety nine feels really comfortable for me. Okay. I will say I think 
I would have probably given it a 99 or 100 in 1993 sure. Sure. for like awakening the idea that there were writers in the world, like screenwriters, that that, that sort of is infallible to me. Yeah. Let's not go that far. Let's not give Aaron I mean, too much credit. Uh, but yes, he did. Um, still does to this day. Um, I probably am going to give it a 90. I think I think I I think there's a lot of validity in all the problem and in, in everything that Emily's saying. I think that um though the executive saying what's the point of a woman if she's not going to be in a relationship with uh Kathy is is wild. It's not completely inaccurate to her role in this film. Like they did not particularly sure. figure out a way for her to exist singularly without that. So I think that's problematic. I got to knock the hair. It's real tough for me. Um, this is not yeah. a high hair score for you? High no, hair score. Demi, Demi low high score. Low oh, score. okay. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, I think Tom's is, hair is like as a 100. 100, Tom, 100. Tom's, Tom's hair score is yeah. very high. We've ranked Tom's hair before on a separate yeah. podcast. This isn't any of that Mission Impossible right. 1 stuff. We did this a Mission Impossible podcast, which is actually, this is the first podcast that Brian and I have ever done together, which is exciting. Oh, I'm very honored. Thank you. Um, and uh, we did, I was doing a Mission Impossible 1, and they asked me to rank his hair, and I was like, hold my beer. I need to get my husband. And literally without telling him what was happening, I was like, could you please rank Tom's hair in the Mission Impossible movies? And he was like, yep. And said them. And I then didn't even know away. we were recording. I thought it was just a conversation <laughs> you guys were having. I got it. Um, so yeah. Um, so we're so you're to ninety. So Brian, uh, what about you? Where are you right now? And where were you back in the day? I'm more like you. Uh, you know, I I feel like I always liked it when I was a kid, but like I don't think I really grasped uh, certainly stuff in the case, and certainly not like what's actually sort of going on about like Kathy's issue and sort of you know it's like cowardice and yeah yeah. Um, and then it must have been at some point when when I was in like in my twenties or thirties, I must've seen it again. And now it's just like always on HBO or we have it on iTunes, whatever. We just wind up watching it all the time. Every time I see it, I like it a little bit more. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I, I have a, I have a painfully curated top 100 list, my own favorite top 100 sure. movies. Sure. And I think it used to be creeping around the tall grass <laughs> at like 80 or something. And then, like, every time I watch it, like, you know, every year or two, I go back and I change the thing. It just keeps moving on up, moving on up. It's legitimately in my top 20 now. And, like, wow. all of the criticisms we discussed, Emily, I completely agree with you. The flaws in the film are evident. However, for me, it's, it's like talking about, like, flaws in, like, you know, the Mona Lisa. You know, like, it's, <laughs> it's an art is art. You know, like, they're there. Um, oh, so, for me, for me, it is a 95. Because okay. I can't, I can't ignore some of my issues with it still, um, but also like I just love what it does bring to my own personal table. <laughs> Listen, guys, By the way, this your was... twist was great, honey. That was so funny. <laughs> Uh, this was everything I could have asked for this episode to be. I'm sure that Emily's learned a lot about a few I've men. So, I've learned so much. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, ultimately, thank you so much, both of you, for coming on to talk about this with us. And I hope that you'll come back in the future, either independently or together. We obviously would love to, to keep talking. If nothing else, Tom Cruise. I mean, if nothing else, there's, there's the much other film. Back. The other film yes. that I'm coming back for mm-hmm. is... We can say it. It's Sneakers. Oh, okay, I'm coming back for yeah. Sneakers, which yeah. is like truly one of brian's top 10 favorite movies ever made and is movie. wild that he chose a few good men i just want you all to know that his love for tom cruise 
spoke up for yeah. his love. Sneakers is my number two all time favorite movie currently. Um, but I feel like currently. we're all there for sneakers. Like all, the, a lot of us in the entertainment industry in particular, like sneakers is something that like everybody really, I think represents, but I did feel like a few good men need, cause it has more flaws needs, needs a good courtroom. Needs, <laughs> needs a good attorney. I don't know. You know I, there's, some, there's some there's some real tough one-liners and secrets that you're like, yeah. ooh, ooh, <laughs> is that one that we say now? No, no really? it's, it's incredible. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, but we did do uh, just very briefly, Emily. I know you need to go, but we did talk a little. Uh, Steve, uh, how do you say his last name? Uh, Jablonski. What's the What's uh, the actor's name? Do you know what I'm talking well, about Emily? Um, from uh, oh. single white female plays the uh, the misogynistic character Tobolowski. Tobolowski. Yeah. Who plays uh, Warner Brandis? Yes. Who? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. Uh, he plays a womanizer in single white female, and then oh, plays the exact opposite in sneakers. It's a real uh, two sides. You liked it. I was like, I've never seen it. I'm excited. Are you trying to figure out how to say jabs? Have you ever seen sneakers, Emily? You're gonna like. Oh my gosh! Oh, I'm so I'm so excited for you. Truly, what a gift you have in front of you is to watch that for the first time. Yeah. Similar you know, to wait. this film in that I think there's literally just one woman in the entire cast. Which is oh, I love of, when yeah. that happens. That's kind of one upsetting. of my favorite things. And it looks back, it's like, what? It's, um, it's a real sausage party movie. It's, it's yeah. pretty crazy. There's only, yeah, the only other real. woman in it is the woman who he's having, who he's having sex with. In the, in he's the having the affair oh, right. or not You the guys are selling me on Who this. has been I'm leaving so messages excited. on his machine. Okay. But over Emily, and over again. here's the thing: all timers. We got it's Redford, it's it's amazing. We got um, Poitier. We got River Phoenix. Perfect. We got it's amazing. Dan Aykroyd. We got, yeah, we got, we got David Strathairn. Strathairn. Strathairn as the comic relief in the film. Incredible, the blind comic relief. It's great. Ugh. It's going to be great. You're going to love it, Emily. Uh, we yeah. can't wait to talk about it with with Liz, with both of you, whatever. No, I'm game for whatever back. you want. No, he can't come back. Uh, Brian, you can come up by yourself. If there's any other 92 movies, we'll Yeah, we'll, if you're going to we'll do Far and Away, and... like, just like, let me know. I'll be there. <laughs> I'll ride over on horseback, actually. So. <laughs> guys, this was a blast. Thank you so, so much. We'll talk Thank to you soon. Thank you. Talk soon. Bye. Bye, guys. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. 